Tita. I'm back in the podcore slobcast studios. It's been a while. Uh, 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 uh. I'm back talking into a microphone. The last month has been super fucked up, but hey, we might talk about that. But you know, things move on, and I am here talking to my pal Adam. That's me, Yo, Adam. I'm the pal Adam. What's going on? <laughs> hey, Bryn. Hey, what? <laughs> uh, end of song. <laughs> Thank you for the help there. Yeah, you're welcome. My only uh, uh, beatboxing moment of my life. I hope I succeeded. I think that was beautiful. I think you're gonna get called up by the uh by the association oh, actually yes i'm i've just been waiting to be noticed yeah so they're listening um welcome to the podcast thanks it's great to be here yeah this has been a super fun little afternoon we just did a little nacho dip oh uh, we've been nachoing it up um slobcore to come people yeah. can check that out That's but right. super delicious and like always basically when i do slobcores with people we end up having these awesome conversations <laughs> and that was like one of the reasons i was like well i gotta do a podcast because yeah. i'm like even like we've been talking about some awesome stuff. I'm like, damn, I wish we were like, I know we had some recording. really deep conversations about my uh, English degree that I never get to talk about. <laughs> and I was like, dang, if only you'd been recording that, then maybe people would want to uh, care about magical realism. <laughs> well, we can definitely get into that because my whole thing, like. It's weird because I've always felt like I was a shy person, but it's just like I don't want to be a bother. Yeah. But I realized like, oh, wait, I know a lot of people i like talking to a lot of people and i like like listening about like what people are excited about mm -hmm. um so this has been a cool little venue for that yeah and and you mentioned as well how you're so like you feel so much more at ease like doing one-on-one -on -one hangouts with people and i've always been the same way just because like i just get so into the conversation yeah totally. it's so much easier to listen to one person compared to five <laughs> right yeah yeah because that's definitely my thing too is like even when I'm in a bigger group, I am paying attention to literally everyone. Yeah. Like, even bars and stuff. It's like too much going on. So I just become an observer where I'm just like, uh, either I have like a thing that I'm waiting to say when everyone pauses for a second. Yeah. yeah. Um, or I'm just absolutely like, okay, we're just going to listen to every single person and, and I'm not actually <laughs> participating. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but okay. So we're going to get into origin story soon, but I just want to say this. This is the first like podcast I've done since Riley died. And obviously sucks a lot. Mm -hmm. You sent me some very nice messages. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, and really, I think one of the reasons I like kind of stopped podcasting besides just like I was exhausted in the last couple months of their life, like were pretty stressful because they were struggling and like trying to be there. But also I think the podcast specifically, it was kind of this heartbreaking thing or like, I did want to be able to like do a one-on-one -on -one podcast with them, mm -hmm. but also their mental state, it was just like, would have been super not comfortable. Yeah. Even though like now, obviously I wish I would have done it and like dealt with any of the uncomfortability, mm -hmm. but truly just like in one-on-one -on -one conversations is when they'd feel comfortable kind of like sharing their more disorganized thoughts and yeah. kind of their more like schizoaffective stuff. Mm -hmm. And I just like, wasn't ready to, have to be like okay we need to cut that part of the yeah. podcast i mean I, I don't know i think that's fair i mean this yeah. is you sort of trying to emotionally navigate a very difficult thing totally and there's a whole like public aspect to it where you're like okay well there's yeah there's me doing my stuff online um that people love watching and they and they love i personally one of the things i enjoyed is just the emotional vulnerability and just sort of like oh he's being very honest yeah 
Um, it's hard to be that honest when things are, are rough. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, though, I mean, you know, one of the messages that I think I had sent you, I, uh-huh. I, I was really appreciative of, of um, just how vulnerable you've been through all this because, you Thanks. know, I, I've had a few experiences that are adjacent uh-huh. to, um, you know, what you've described. And in a few moments, you're actually able to provide me with some context Aww. that I was missing. Sure. You know, I, I had had a buddy who he had had just sort of a psychotic episode yeah. earlier this year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, hearing you talk about some of Riley's experiences made me be like, oh, that's that actually explains a lot about why he he was thinking in this way. Mm, um, mm-hmm. Or, you know, when he called me and I, I had to come help him out of a very confusing kind of situation where yeah. I had no. I had no preparation for what I was walking into. Sure. And I was, it just sort of became like, oh, I, I need to rescue him, turns out, is yeah. what's happening. Like, I thought I was just picking you up because your car was broken or something. Oh, wow. But um, no, this is a, it was a whole thing. Yeah. And he was having a whole sort of delusion. And, you know, I, I just, you know, then he, he's, he felt embarrassed about it. So he didn't want to talk with me mm-hmm. after he started to sort of, yeah. you know, have some reconciliation with it. And so I just had, you know, kind of no information other than like, oh, you know, he's struggling. Yeah. And I don't know how or why. And, you know, I'm just still here. Totally. Um, And, you know, I, I also uh, earlier this year, I had a cousin who passed away mm. um, Sorry to hear from that. a, from a overdose as well. Uh-huh. Uh, that is just beyond shocking. Cause I think any time when someone, yeah. cause it was a cousin who's younger than me, mm-hmm. right. Especially as someone who's younger than you and you know, we're pretty young ourselves. Yeah, totally. It it just doesn't feel like it should be that way. No, the, there's no good resolution to it other than sadness and having to feel that sadness and yep. navigate it. Yep. And you know, it's something that I just feel like we're not all that well equipped to handle all of the time mm-hmm. especially you know like like i said we're young and we're and we were having a whole conversation about like learning how to even know our own emotions and yeah and then what to do when you have those emotions totally and so you know how do you navigate these very impossible oh my god emotional crises yeah so yeah and the fact that like nothing is happening in a vacuum and just the last few yeah. years have been like so much harder and stressful and so when you're Mm -hmm. extra vulnerable vulnerable in some ways like yeah it's not surprising that things like overdoses and suicides are going up yeah and i mean we live in a a very particular um sort of crisis point with regards to drugs um here in portland yeah um we live in um like a drug sort of corridor essentially that goes you know all the way up through seattle um and so there's a lot of access to it here right and you know it's just been getting kind of worse and worse over the years Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah really really awful and really shitty but i'm back potting because like right when i started even it was super fun and i already had a list of like dozens of people Mm -hmm. who i wanted to have on but then i had to realize like it also depends on like my energy and availability and I'm not like regretful that I slowed down because I was I had a lot less like energy and just emotional. And it was also hard trying feeling like I'm not connecting with Riley at the level Mm -hmm. that I want to be. Sure. And then connecting with like other awesome people that I know. And it feeling like great, like you, we hadn't seen each other in 10 years. Yeah. And it just like, it's right back on, right back on. Remember this thing? Yeah. Yeah. Which is awesome. But in that time, it was really like almost just another reminder and a contrast mm-hmm. like oh 
Riley, who I love so much, and we have like this closeness, yeah. there is also this disconnection. Sure. Um, so that was just a little, little too much, but yeah, I'm back potting and potting the casts, potting the casts. Um, so yeah, and I am glad like Riley was on two different podcasts. We did one mm-hmm. at my old house when we sold it last October. The whole family got together and we yeah. like reminisced on the house. Dang, so that that house is sold. Yeah. Oh man, I know that, that's weird for me to think because I I I have so many memories of that. Totally, house. totally. Uh, like I here's the thing that I very much like. I recall you were the only person I knew who had not just the Beyblades, uh-huh. but the Beyblade Arena. Yes, and, dude. And <laughs> and help me like like navigate. Yeah. Because I'm pulling back in my memories. Yeah. But I, I want to say it was like in an attic room of some kind that we would go up to. Mm-hmm. And then we do my loft. The loft. Where there's like a like a little porthole. Yeah. That was that was the That's where the Beyblade right Arena was. So it was sort yeah. of like we're going to the Beyblade zone. <laughs> yes. You know. Um okay, that's a perfect transition. We are now going into the Bryn origin stories. Yeah. So um yeah that Beyblading was so fun up there and having the arena was great. Actually in college the one year that Riley went to Graceland with mm-hmm. me, I was the house president mm-hmm. and I brought the Beyblade stuff. Oh, and nice. so all of us college students yeah. who had Beybladed as kids were Beyblading during our oh, like, man, to like settle disputes and stuff. <laughs> oh my God. That's so good. We're like, you know what? I got a beef with you. Let's, yeah. let's let it rip. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. Okay. So origin story, basically we went to elementary school together. Yeah, that's right. We we were at Stevenson Elementary. Yep. Um, I'm, I've been trying to remember... Like what year of elementary school we would have connected? Because I don't think it was first grade. Yeah, that's when I was. I first started at Stevenson in first, in first grade. grade. Okay. Um. So I was wondering. I was gonna like pitch like, what was your like progression of teachers, and we could figure out if, yeah, we, yeah, if yeah. we matched up. I had Miss Evans in kindergarten, uh-huh. half day. I'd go home at lunchtime, eat an egg bologna sandwich, <laughs> and watch the Nickelodeon spread. Nice. Which was great. Then first grade, I had. Play-Doh Weeks, uh-huh. which is a one-two class. Yeah. And you weren't in that because no. you said you're Mrs. White. I had Mrs. White. So, and then in second grade, I also had Play-Doh and Weeks. Okay, yeah. Who was your second Mets. grade? I had Miss Metz. Metz, nice. Yeah. Third grade, Segovia. Segovia, yes. that's I, I the think one. that was I think it. That, that makes sense because I, I want to say I have uh, third grade tracks with where I'm remembering you starting to be in my friendship circles. Yeah, no. I, uh, I agree on that one. Yeah. Miss Segovia was uh, funny because she seemed stern. Yeah. But then was really nice. Yeah, totally. But she just looked like the classic old woman. Exactly. <laughs> it, she yeah. just looked like, you know, if, if she was just sort of like thinking about whatever or she's just honestly, she's probably just being like, I got to wrangle 30 kids. And yeah. like she's trying to manage that every oh day. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so, yeah. But as a kid, you're just like, she's angry. <laughs> like, I have this very specific memory of watching a bunch of like construction workers yeah. that were like doing something on a house that was like next to the Stevenson like mm-hmm. playground. Mm-hmm. And Miss Segovia walks all the way across the field to me. And I'm like, she's going to tell me to be like, you can't be over here. Yeah. Um, you got to be respectful. And because it's like, we're the only ones out here. And she makes the journey. Right. Right. She comes up and she goes, oh, what are they doing? <laughs> are they building? Right. And she just is here to hang. Yeah. I'm not in trouble. Yeah. Just chilling. Just, yeah. Just chilling. Yeah. yeah. So Miss Segovia. No, I think she was really sweet. My one Segovia memory um, we had like reading time mm-hmm. and as I was saying, like, I've always been a pretty good reader yeah. and I would like head on the desk book in my lap. Mm-hmm. And I think I had been reading, like reading time ended and yeah. I was so engrossed in the book mm-hmm. that I just didn't notice that we like transitioned. Oh. 
and it was like calendar time. Everyone yeah. was doing calendar time in the corner. Uh-huh. But mis- I must have been so in the book that Segovia was like, let's just let him let's read. Just let him go for it. So like for 20 minutes, I'm still reading. And mm-hmm. I finally look up I'm like, oh, we're not reading anymore. Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that, I'm I'm appreciative then that Miss Segovia had that mindset because my fourth grade teacher was not that way. I had Miss oh, Van Hatcher. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Um. And uh, it's funny, I'm, I'm right now looking at your bookshelf, because this is what I do when I go to people's yeah. houses, and I'm seeing Douglas Adams, you have the compendium of Hitchhiker's Guide to yep. the Galaxy right yep. there. Um, I wonder if you know, does this one have the five books, or does it include the sixth one that was published after it Adam's It might death? have the sixth. Want okay. me to grab it real quick? If, if you, if you I can. I can do that, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, I was a big fan of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy um, at that age. Um and I had a compendium that looks very much like this, only mine was green. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, yep, it does. It's got the it, six. It's got mostly harmless. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> those books are the only ones still that, like, have made me crack up laughing the most. Yeah, I reread them, or I'll, I'll, they're on YouTube, so sometimes I'll just, like, actually listen to it while nice. I play a game or oh, whatever. Oh, nice. Um, I was obsessed with that uh, book series, and but in Miss Van Hatcher's class, I would bring in that big compendium because I was reading through it, Yeah, and she was discouraging me from reading it. What? Yeah, she she was like, that's too old for you. you you're not going to understand it. Oh, my And, gosh. like, to an extent, she was right. I didn't understand a lot of it, but I yeah. that didn't matter because I love the story. Yeah. And guess what? I kept revisiting it over and over and over again totally and like to this day like i have the whale falling from oh, magrathea oh that is right? a sick tattoo. and the bowl of petunias tattooed on oh my, my God, arm dude right because i consider it you know i eventually went on to get a degree in in literature right and i kind of consider it to be my first like love of a book series yeah, sure um and i'm glad it was that one because the hitchhiker's guide is like textbook absurdism yeah which i sourly needed to survive in this weird capitalist hellscape <laughs> yep you know yep um totally no yeah. i i had a similar thing i think it was fourth grade two where Return of the King came out in uh-huh. theaters. Yeah. And my parents and my older siblings all went to see it. And I wanted to see it. But they're like, no, you can't see it. It's like too bloody, too violent. Uh, uh-huh. It's like rated. It's, no, it's not R. It's probably PG-13. I feel like PG-13. But I was like a little kid. and mm-hmm. um, But so in response to that, I was like, all right, fuck you. I'm sure I didn't say or think that. <laughs> yeah. But then I read all the Lord of the Rings books. Yeah, out of spite. Out of spite. That's what I did for Miss Van Hatcher, too. Yeah. I'm reading this whole thing. <laughs> totally. And then at that point, Mama was like, well, you already know the story. Yeah, so you might as well. Might as well. And mm-hmm. then my first time watching the Lord of the Rings, uh-huh. it was actually at the Krauser's house. Oh, yeah. I don't think you were there. That could have been a random you were there moment. I was at the Krausers a lot growing up. It's hard to say, yeah. but they also are very social and invite people over yeah, all the time. Totally. But um we watched like all the extended editions, yeah. like set up like their living room, we just turned into a big bed and mm-hmm. like spent all day and it was super fun. But yeah. because I'd read the book, Mama was like, Well, I guess you can watch the movie, you already know what's going yeah. on. I had I had to sort of reverse with Hitchhikers where I saw the movie uh, in theaters yeah. with my dad. Yeah. So I guess it actually kind of starts as a wholesome like father son like we bonded over that movie because I just thought it was so silly. Yeah, totally. Right? Like I remember the scene where they're this one's and this is a scene that wasn't even in the books where they're on the fog sphere, the Vogon planet. Mm-hmm. They're there to rescue Trillian and they need a plan to like go and face this massive bureaucracy. Yeah, but they can't come up with a plan because every time they have a thought something comes out of the ground and whaps him in the face, <laughs> right? Classic slapstick. Yeah. And it was just a silly moment of being like, I have an idea. Whoop, bam! <laughs> and then they're like, what? 
Arthur, what do you think? Right. I think, bam! <laughs> and it was just so dumb and it was so silly. And Zaphod had this helmet that was powered by lemons to make him think. Right, Everything about it was just like delightfully weird and strange and nonsensical. Yeah. But I loved so much just the... I love the absurdity of that. Oh my gosh. There's totally. so much in that that I was just like... Because to me, I feel like we live in a very strange let's call it plane of existence. Yeah. Like if, if you ever stopped to just consider what's going on, oh my like we're on this rock. Yeah. Uh, it's been flying through the ether for <laughs> countless billions of years. Uh-huh. Once upon a time, some bacteria or single cells were like, what if we had two cells? Right. And then, and you skip some time and it's like fish you skip a little more time. And it's like, dinosaurs <laughs> yeah what and then you skip some more and we're like tearing down the berlin wall that's so random that's so random how did we go from dinosaurs to the berlin wall right? yeah that's intensely strange and weird and so the hitchhiker's guide was really good at pointing out the like chaoticness of right. what it is to just be a person when you're trying to make sense of the world yeah and... especially when you're growing up and you're like this is okay you know yeah. weird stuff with this planet that i'm on but i'll, I'll get with it okay totally um and uh, just they just had such silly moments. Like the one of the ones that sticks out to me uh-huh. was in I think the third or fourth book, probably the third. They they go to this tourist attraction, which yeah. is God's last message to to the sentient beings of the galaxy. Uh-huh. And it's funny, a just that that is a tourist place to go. Like right. you go with your family, you take a picture of God's last message, <laughs> and it's it's you know all crazy. Like it's on the side of a mountain, like just carved inside of a mountain. And the whole book, you're like, I wonder what the message is. Yeah. And they get there and it's sorry for the inconvenience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So good. Like, that's, yep. That's relatable. <laughs> <laughs> sorry for the inconvenience. Um, I, one of, one of my strongest memories with you and oh, your yeah. kids. And this is one I tell all the time because it's really? one of the times where I've sobbed in a movie theater. <gasps> oh, I, I think this say. was fourth or fifth grade and my mama took us to the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. I remember this very well. And we were little kids who love SpongeBob. Yeah. As as one does. Which by the way, uh-huh. SpongeBob is such a cultural touchstone. It is. It's nuts. SpongeBob and Shrek are two things that just like have so much pop culture relevance. Yeah. I, I literally, um, in my job as a, a reading tutor, yeah. and I'm trying to teach people about character analysis, I'll uh-huh. always use Shrek. Yes. <laughs> because it's very easy to be like, well, can you consider how the physical characteristics of Shrek mattered to how he was as a character? And they're like, nice. yeah, he was he was a big, ugly ogre, and everyone hated him. <laughs> no, SpongeBob, I don't know that you're... So, but, yeah, I, yeah you, you continue, because I have my own half of this SpongeBob story. Perfect, yeah. perfect. So what I remember, and to be fair, my memories are not super great. Mm-hmm. But this one, I just remember watching the movie in the theater and like, it had just released up. It just released. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also I remember me and you would always get into laugh attacks. Yes. The like, laugh attacks. We would, oh, and that's my. something mama would bring up through the yeah, years too. The laugh attacks. Um, but so I'm sure we were laugh attacking through the movie. For sure. Um, but then in the scene where they like Oof. dry up, it yeah. looks like they're dead, and yeah. you see like Patrick's like last year. I just remember us <laughs> sobbing. No, this can't be their end. <laughs> yeah, they can't can't end this way. <laughs> I mean, that's a classic. Like you'll laugh, you'll cry movie, totally. right? You know, they really hit every note. <laughs> David Hasselhoff's David like Hasselhoff. his titty launchers, <laughs> the peck launcher. <laughs> yeah. It's just uh, it, even as a kid, I thought it was funny, and now every time I think about it, it's funnier. Yeah, totally. Um, my my half of the SpongeBob Please. story is is that because i remember that very specifically too 
um, I had either spent like we'd done a sleepover or I had just been at your house yeah. earlier that day and yeah. hanging out. And you had just like as kids do, like had this like joke that was really funny to you, uh-huh. which was you were just calling everything a knee slapper. Yeah. You'd go, <laughs> you're like, that's a knee slapper. And you'd slap your knee. And then I was like, that's funny. And so I was also like, what a knee slapper. Yeah. And so we were both like doing knee slapper jokes the whole day. Yep. Yep. And this is independent from the scene in the SpongeBob movie. Oh my God. Where they're doing the, now that we're men, yep. we've got facial hair. <laughs> right, that scene. And they have what can only be described as the knee slapper equivalent of a dance solo. Oh my God. Right? Yeah, there's like a... Yeah, yeah they both like, they're on the monster's hands and they're like gonna eat them, but then they start slapping their knees like silently. <laughs> like they, they're like looking at the camera. They don't say a word. Yeah. SpongeBob Patrick just starts slapping their knees. Yeah. And then they just go hard. They go hard at the slapping. And like they're slapping their elbows now and their foreheads they're slapping each other yeah and at one point patrick just starts hyping him up he's like yeah go spongebob and you and i are dying <laughs> right because we were like how did they know our knee slapper joke <laughs> how did this happen that's it was amazing perfect synchronicity we're so prescient yeah so that's so i i guess i remember the positive like us having a good time and you remember the set the tears yep yep <laughs> but then also like when it turns out they're alive just like yes oh the relief oh the relief that is hilarious get the crown save the town and mr crabs (laughs) um and i also mentioned this earlier but another big memory and i also mentioned this on keeps episode Mm -hmm. and she was on but um it was you me keep and katie fulbrook a lot of times would just watch the cows by the playground at stevenson and just yesterday i took some pictures of some deer and i caught them peeing and pooping nice but i just remember us like waiting for them to go to the bathroom because like a cow peeing or a cow pooping it's pretty magnificent like yeah, there's a lot it was like our television like we would go to the <laughs> yeah. back of the schoolyard where there was just this random cow farm yep. just in the middle of the city um i mean we're in southwest so kind of suburbs uh-huh. but still bizarre still weird for cows yeah, yeah. Just, but we didn't think of anything we we're like oh cool cows yeah um and i was telling you my memory with that was we loved them scratching themselves yeah because they had to their heads would have to reach back to try to like bite at their like hind uh-huh. and they would have to lift one leg yeah and they would just kind of do this like gyrating motion <laughs> and we called it the three-legged barbecue dance yeah. which in my now i, I like we were so that. clever to call it that yeah. barbecue how, how did we think to make that connection as children uh, uh yeah i loved those those cows yeah that was so fun i just remember like picking daisies and like watching uh, the cows and yeah. whenever like they probably did the dance or they peed or pooped just like yeah yes. yeah and then like they would have a uh, everyone's father would be like a new baby There'd be like a calf. Yeah. Like we were like, oh, there's another, there's a new cow. Totally. Right. And like, I can't think of how any of these cows were ever pregnant. And we, cause we never noticed that yeah. all of a sudden there'd be a new calf. So I wonder yeah. if maybe the farmers just like <laughs> went out and purchased, but they would look like their parents. So I don't know. Right. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Those are good times though. Yeah. And then, uh, the story that I was sharing with you earlier, this is my big Bryn memory, which yeah. is our sort of like, uh, it was almost a secret like packed we had of this moment that you and I experienced and like no one else on the playground had seen. Right. Which is we're walking by um, that hill that's right by the trail, sort of far end of the, of the playground. And we, we just clock this group of girls who are like a year older than us. We uh-huh. didn't know any of them. Yeah. They're in a circle. There's like 15 of them and they are, you know, just hanging out like, okay, cool. Please recess. But they're in a perfect circle and they're standing and we're like, okay, and then we just, we hear them and then we see them. We first, we hear them go, <laughs> oh, Maria. And they all like throw their arms in the air. 
like choreographed yeah. in perfect synchronicity. Yeah. And then immediately after the O Maria, they drop to the ground, crisscross applesauce and go silent. And you and I were just flabbergasted. Yeah. We had no comprehension of what we'd saw. Like, it was like, what is that? Why did they do that? Is this a reference to something? Yeah, yeah. Who, how did they do it in such perfect choreography? Like, did they rehearse this? Who is Maria? Uh, right. right. So if anybody here who's listening is part of the Stevenson oh Elementary Mar uh, o, Maria o Maria Coven. Yeah. Uh, what spell were you casting? Yeah, I would like to know like, how can I get in touch with Maria? Is the is the sacrifice too big? Um, or will it give me just the magic I need mm. to survive adulthood? Because yeah. I feel like they, they knew something I didn't. Yeah, seriously. That is so funny. Yeah, but then we would spend like weeks afterwards where we would check in. We'd be like, yeah. you still remember the O Maria girls? <laughs> yeah, I remember the O Maria girls. Because like we'd ask our friends, we'd be like, did you guys see the O Maria thing? And they're like, yeah. No, like, it was loud. They screamed it. How did no one else catch it? Right. And so it was sort of our reality check. Um, so I was a little dismayed to hear that you didn't have like a full recollection of this because mm -hmm. this now maybe means that I, it's <laughs> the magic's. I have lost the magic. You're I'm the only one it. who recalls it. So what if it's not real anymore? <laughs> oh man, I. Do you? Did you? Were you playing soccer at recess in elementary uh, school? No. Do you remember there was like drama that went on with that's the soccer why, playing. That's why I didn't. So I played soccer with like the Stevenson's team until about fourth grade yeah. when I quit to go become a, a Taekwondo Hell martial yeah. artist. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I very specifically didn't play any sports with any of the boys throughout elementary school because mm -hmm. because of the drama. It was so yeah. competitive. People would just get mad at each other. Yeah. And I didn't like that. I was Definitely. like, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm, sh I'm, I'm like not fast enough. I, I tried to kick the ball. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just remember there was like this whole thing where our grade were the best soccer players. Mm. And we would play like the older kids a lot and like beat them. I do remember that. And then there was something where like it was getting too much. So whoever was like in charge of recess <laughs> started this schedule where it's like oh. Monday, the third graders play. Cause I think it was third, fourth and fifth graders uh -huh. all have recess together. Monday, only third graders, Tuesday, only fourth graders, which yeah. was us. I'm pretty sure. And then th Wednesday, fifth graders and then boys and then girls on Thursday and Friday. Mm -hmm. And that kind of sucked because it like messed up the games. Yeah. It, it and takes so the flow out of it. We started like, uh a rebel soccer oh my God. game the, the, up on the hill. The fight, Probably the, the fight Maria club hill. of soccer. Yeah. So it's like, okay, if you're if you're imposing these regulations on the soccer field, <laughs> we're gonna have our own field. And so like the underground soccer movement. Yeah. Yeah. Um I think I think Keep was all about that. So I think we did talk yeah, about that. Because Keep was wicked in the soccer. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. For real. Um but yeah. Elementary school. So yeah. weird. So cool. Yeah. Like it's, it's fun to remember those times because, you know, it, now I'm an adult and my outlook on life is intensely different than when I was a child. <laughs> right. And I was just like, yeah, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yep. Yep. <laughs> the cows. You know, <laughs> things are, you know, this is the classic. Oh, things were so simple back then. Yeah. Um, but but if I'm being honest, things weren't simple. Things were always complicated. Yeah. Right. I, even back then, I remember, you know. Like we spoke about how, like I was such good friends with Katie Fulbrook, mm -hmm. who goes by Blaze nowadays. Okay. Um, and the, uh, like they left for New Zealand. They their family moved away, and yeah. she was like my best friend for yeah. all those years. And so I had this sort of early like, like, oh, so I can have a friend that I 
I just, I get along with and I vibe with so well and they can just be gone. Right. And I can't do a thing about it. And I had a really hard like reconciliation with that. I actually remember I, I, you know, I, I've had various mental health things my whole life, but I very mm. specifically remember being depressed mm. in fourth grade. Wow. I, I have very specific, like I was depressed then. Yeah. Um, and, and part of it was, uh, Miss Van Hatcher, uh-huh. <laughs> um, you know, the, her vibe was very, um, it, it felt like a lot of pressure and she, things needed to be perfect. Otherwise she would kind of like scold you about yeah. it. I remember well, going yeah. back through the or counting our teachers. I had Snodgrass. Oh, and that like is such a contrast. Cause Snodgrass yeah, is a hundred percent. Yeah. Van Hatcher, she would get mad at you if you said, yep, instead of yes. Oh my God. Which now I, I, I hate even more because I went and I, I studied like literature stories and language and I'm like, that's not how language is. Yeah, yeah. How dare you do that to me? Totally. You know, um, and so it's just large pressure. I remember she had this one uh, lesson where it was like a homework assignment where mm-hmm. we had just uh, read The Big Friendly Giant and we were to make our own like little, I can't remember what it was. They had those jars that would capture magic or something in it in the story. Yeah, sure. And we had to make our own out of like a peanut butter jar or something. Uh-huh. And she was like trying to test our independence. And she said, I'm going to tell you what to do for this homework assignment. I, it will not be written down. You will have to remember what I say. Oh my God. And so she told us what to do for the assignment. And she says, if you don't do it the way I said, then you're not going to get a good. Yeah. We weren't even graded. What was even that about? Oh my so gosh. anyways, seriously. Um, yeah. So it was like fourth grade. That was when Katie left. And that's when I was in Van Hatcher's class. And I, I had dread every Sunday. Wow. I just was filled with un comprehensible dread about yeah. the next day. I yeah. did not want to go to school. Aww. I was so upset and I um I would just struggle. And that was the first time I ever I went to like a child therapist for a mm. while. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know how helpful that <laughs> like ended Doogie up. Like Doogie Hauser situation. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> I was the child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember she had a lot of cool games, but I don't know. I, I you know, because I talked with my mom about that experience a few years ago and uh-huh. she was like, Oh, I don't remember us landing on that it was depression. I'm like, that was what it was. Huh. And so I wonder like, so did the therapist not like figure that out and not communicate that to you? If you don't know. Right. You know, so I don't know how helpful that ended up being, but sure. it was still would have been the right move. But yeah, that's all to say that like, even back then things were complicated and oh, hard. Totally. And you're still a human trying to navigate emotions. Yeah. Um, and you know, we're, we're boys and, and boys have a different, um, sort of like lesson scheme when it comes to learning how to process emotions completely oh my gosh in a very harsh and horrible way yeah. you know i i'm very thankful to have had a dad who didn't punish me for crying and allowed me to cry and be emotional mm-hmm. but even so that message still got to me it's- oh my gosh no i've i've said a lot of same things because yeah like papa is like very emotional and like can be in touch with his feelings and stuff and i feel like a lot of uh like dad issues that people yeah. have, I don't relate to. Yeah. But even so just like, yeah, the culture of masculinity and just like the ways that people are taught to like check each other on it too. Yeah. That oh was my the gosh. thing. Cause yeah, it is school where you're like, whatever your family dynamics are, mm-hmm. you're in the world, you're in society yeah. and all those things are still going to affect you. The social hierarchy of being in school and having to like navigate the other boys who are all trying to one up each other yeah. because that's what they're told success in socialization is, is I'm, I'm more than you in totally. whatever this thing is. And it was this competition that I absolutely hated all the time. Yeah. Um, I, I remember like in, um, 
middle or high school, uh, there's this one guy who he was so insecure because, um, you know, I was doing Taekwondo and so I was oh, I was relatively fit, um, but I wasn't like buff or anything. Yeah. We just did calisthenics every day. Right. And so I was really good at pushups. Right. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, which sounds impressive, but like, I don't know. I, I wasn't like strong. I right. just was good at pushups. Right. Because I did them all the time. Anyways, he would like challenge me to pushup competitions. <laughs> It'd be like, we're in gym class. Yeah. And he'd be like, I, I can do more pushups than you. Oh my God. And I'd be like, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. And then he'd be like, I need to prove it. So you're going to do pushups and I'm going to do pushups. And then people are like, <laughs> oh, I guess they're doing a pushup competition. And I would win. Yeah. Sorry to be flex. Um, <laughs> no, go for it. I, I, love I would it. win every time, and I, I was. And you're the one who didn't care about winning. I didn't really. care. Yeah, and and it was just sort of like I don't want to do this. You know, I don't want to have to compete with you. But you were just having this moment where you you keep insisting, like I'm. And he like come back, like I've gotten better, and I'm going to beat you now. Wow. And I'm like, you're, I don't. It doesn't matter. Like <laughs> right. if you do, then that's fine. Yeah. Um. And this just posturing. Yeah. No, that's a. It's a big thing, and like. I've never been that competitive a person either, mm -hmm. but I also do like to like play games and I played sports and I like, I like to compete, but it's all just about like having the fun with it. I like but being then, on a team. Yeah. Your team versus the thing is more fun. Totally. Than the competition. Totally. Aspect. But yeah, for me, it's just like that stuff never was something I cared about, but it was such a thing that other guys yeah. cared about that like. I don't know exactly how I processed it. Sometimes I just like, or even because here's another thing, like, especially now I'm realizing like, oh, some of my like dude peers were like falling into these internet rabbit holes. Yeah. Like gamer culture and like Gamergate stuff and mm -hmm. like the beginnings of kind of like the alt right and like yeah. the like toxic masculinity messages. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh yeah. Some of those guys were like taking that insecurity they had and then finding these like probably like 20 year old gamer YouTuber yeah. guys who were just saying like the most toxic stuff. Yeah. But then like internalizing it. I, I remember like this is an interesting thing because um, I the culture is really tr turned against this nowadays. Yeah. But the usage of the word gay to denote bad. Yeah. Right. They would say that's gay. Yeah. And and so like that right there is just you osmosising this idea that bad is, and gay are synonymous. Totally. Um, and, you know, when you're growing up and you're trying to understand your own identity and sexuality, that factors in. Totally. Right? That makes you feel like, well, I can't actually even entertain that. Yeah. Because I've been taught that it's bad. Right. Um, I, I, I often think about my time working at summer camps as being this very strange setting for this kind of thing because we're all like teenagers now in mm -hmm. this setting and it's simultaneously very homophobic and very homoerotic oh my god seriously <laughs> yeah. it's like me and a bunch of dudes we're all at camp and um we're, we're all <laughs> saying things like hey baby i love you and we were like i remember holding hands with friends because it was like funny yeah right? but that's the thing right like we held hands but it's a joke yeah yeah. Right. So e even the positive moments of affection are meant to be taken as a jest. Right. Oh, completely. You know, and, and I do remember a lot. I remember like the F slur being dropped quite a lot, mm -hmm. um, you know, which is just so strange because we're all like pretending to kiss each other. Right. <laughs> right. It's just, you know, it, it just really yeah. I think it shows the sort of like incongruency of like where people are kind of wanting to be more open and, and affectionate with uh -huh, their male friends, uh -huh. but also being completely unable to yeah. at that and age. Like we're all playing at this thing that to various levels we care about, but then we know like other people are checking you. Yeah. And 
Yeah, no, it's it's a trip. Uh, I remember playing gay chicken uh-huh. uh, with a friend at camp, <laughs> and I was and I lost every time because I knew he would kiss me. Yeah, <laughs> and and but it's funny because you know now that wouldn't that's not an issue for me. I'm bi. Yeah, I yeah. figured that out way later. Yeah, um, pro- in with this whole situation not helping, obviously. Right, but like. In my brain, I couldn't let him kiss me. Sure. Because that's like a mark against me socially somehow or like that, you right. know, gay equals bad, you know, connotation that was fostered. Totally. Um, just through the interactions. And uh, it's just sort of like, what a weird nightmare. Oh, my God. What a bizarre nightmare. For real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. No, definitely like, yeah, like playing football and stuff is like people like showing each other nuts all the time. And it <laughs> yeah. was like hilarious, which like, yeah, nuts are kind of hilarious. Yeah. But when it becomes that thing of like, oh, you looked at my nuts. You're so gay. Yeah. Dude. yeah. And I think a lot of the ways that I because, yeah, people like saying slurs and stuff mm-hmm. is definitely a thing. And just like being like a shithead little middle schooler, yeah. which I think is just a part of middle nope, school. Also, It is. But yeah, I think the way that I dealt with that is I just, for me, it had to be like, okay, everyone knows this is like bad, but people are just being ironic. Mm. And that's the way that like misogyny kind of got yeah. processed through my mind. And mm-hmm. I'm sure in some ways, like I perpetuated that stuff, but I think a lot of times I was just like, uh, everyone's joking, right? <laughs> We're all well, joking. I, we all know this is that's, bad, That's right? the danger of it is because yeah. you're kind of forced into being complicit because if you don't participate, you're ostracized. Right. And so I definitely remember I was chatting with Gabe about this forever ago, which is this like, we used to ironically make those like, make me a sandwich jokes. <laughs> right, right. Right. Like, woman, make me a sandwich was like a, a meme at the time. Yeah. And I know in my head it was like, well, I, I don't mean this. Yes. Um, but at the same time, it's like, we're saying this stuff and yeah. women are hearing us. Yeah, totally. Right? And so what is their perception of us is making those comments? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's sort of insidious because yeah. you, you, before you realize that you have a whole childhood of being like, crap, I was a part of these really awful behaviors that I don't want to support. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah, it's, it's interesting for me because I think like my relationship with girls and women, like I like held back a lot Mm -hmm. just because I knew that so many guys were like pushing boundaries or like annoying them. And so I internalized that as like, okay, all these women are like already super annoyed with all these dudes. (laughs) I'm a dude. So I don't want to like engage and be annoying Yeah, when it's literally because I'm thinking about that. And because I'm someone that like women would tell Mm -hmm. that like, Hey, like there's this weirdness. Yeah. It's like, wow, I wish I didn't hold back because I actually like could have had more friendships and like been there. But yeah. just like the specter of the whole masculinity. And if you're talking to a girl as a friend, like you must have crushes on each other and mm-hmm. then other people oh, yeah. talk about it. Oh, I struggle with that because I was just I always was like friends with various girls. Yeah. Like, I mean, we're talking about how, you know, my earliest friendships were with Keep and Katie. Yeah. They were like my my go to BFFs for elementary school. Totally. Um, And none nothing about that gender wise dynamics really 
came in my head throughout elementary school. Mm-hmm. And but then it started being a thing later on. Yeah. You know, as you go into middle school and high school where, yeah, other people make those observations like, oh, you're going to ask her out or whatever. Right. It's like, well, I don't know. I just wanted to like hang. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that like that gets pushed on you. Yeah. At least for me, it made like, no, I'm not going to ask anyone out because there's this outside pressure. Yeah. Or it's like, OK, maybe I actually would have just had a cute little like middle school girlfriend mm-hmm. or whatever. I definitely had crushes. I had so many crushes. Oh, oh my, my god! Gosh. I, I had I had like a million different crushes throughout. <laughs> yeah. Every year, I would have about like ten new ones every day. Uh-huh. Felt like God. <laughs> Which I think everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people are like that. Um, yeah, just so much weirdness though. But oh, I feel like I was had a really good thought, and it's gone. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's just. I mean, it's a hard time in general. I yeah. mean, like. High school is this weird, like, it's this weird place, middle school too, where you take a group of people who are all insecure. Yeah. Um, all have no, like, emotional understanding of, of how to deal with themselves. They're also learning how to socialize. Totally. And then you put them all in this institution together and then you apply pressure you have to pass chemistry right <laughs> yeah and then and then it's like you're trying to like both learn to be a social p- person in this sort of like nightmare jungle mm-hmm. and then also trying to secure your financial future oh my gosh by passing your classes so you can get into college so oh, that you can yeah. have a job so that you're not homeless oh yeah right like that was the pressure you are also facing as a child yeah we all knew about that and different parents to different levels would like push that pressure on mm-hmm. and in some ways it's like yeah because the parent doesn't want their kid to like yeah yeah like fail in life or whatever quote mm-hmm. unquote but then it's also like yeah that pressure shouldn't be put onto kids yeah and you shouldn't need to have to like totally succeed just to be able to have a living wage and yeah. like good life well and it's hard i mean so um i my mom would have this line that she would say to me all the time and she meant the best yeah she would say, oh, that'll look good on a resume. Uh-huh, uh-huh. She would say that to any time I succeeded or achieved something. Yeah. And she meant it as a compliment, but I took it as a huge pressure. Right. I needed to build the perfect resume, it turns out. Yeah. That's what it has to be. Yeah. And, like, these sort of things pushed me to achieve, don't get me wrong, but, like... I also put a lot of pressure on myself to achieve. Right. Right. You know, I couldn't just, I couldn't just get a black belt. I had to become a second degree black belt. Mm. I couldn't just get a college degree. I had to get two and then a master's. Right. I couldn't just like, you know, I wrote two novels just to prove that I could. Right. You know? Uh, and, and I would feel this tremendous pressure. Like I, these books need to be perfect to this day. I still haven't like sent them out to they. I have two completed manuscripts <laughs> Whoa. and I edit them from time to time just yeah. to make them more perfect because in my brain, they have to be perfect yeah. before I send them out because of this pressure that I'm still trying to undo for my whole life. Totally. You know? Um, yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting. And in, in some ways I feel like I dodged a lot of that mm-hmm. for one. I just like was lucky enough. Like, I was good at standardized tests and yeah, like I was bad school at school was like fairly easy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with like college and stuff, like I knew I was going to go to Graceland, which was super easy to get into. Mm-hmm. So everyone else is stressing out, like doing all the applications, like, Oh, yeah. I need to worry about which college I'm going to. Oh my gosh. But I like figured that out second semester, junior year. Uh-huh. And they just accepted me right away. Cause yeah. it's like an easy college. So I was just like, 
always just been chilling. Yeah, that's but really so- feel how much the pressure to succeed and stuff. Yeah, it's so funny. I mean, thinking back on when I was applying for colleges, I had my entire life known I was going to go to PCC. Why? Because my mom worked there Uh, and I would get free tuition. uh I knew that from my my earliest ages that I could do that. Right. And still... I felt this tremendous pressure to apply to like Pomona and Lewis and Clark. Uh, and I, I felt awful when I didn't get accepted into any of them because I didn't really get my uh, shit together academically till like junior year. Gotcha. Um, but it didn't matter because PCC was great. I had an awesome yeah. time at PCC. Oh, that's great. Um, I got my first two years of college done free because I did that because my mom worked there. Yeah. And I was so fortunate that my parents were able to put some money aside so that I could finish out that next two years. Uh-huh. We ended up being three years at PSU. Nice. Um, and PSU turns out if you're if you go to PCC, you're just accepted into PSU. Right. 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 And so it was like I'd put all this pressure you didn't need on to myself. Be stressing that much. And I didn't need to do it at all. Yeah. And totally. I felt devastation and and just uh, just shame uh, for not succeeding in this thing that I right. ended up succeeding very much so in. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I think a lot of people's like. Oh my gosh, people just have so many insecurities that stem from like school. Mm-hmm. Like even. I have so many friends that like feel like they're awful at math and hate math and stuff because yeah, math's kind of hard and then you get going. And then if like you struggle with it a little more, Mm -hmm. that just becomes like, Oh, I'm awful and I don't know how to do this. Yeah. Um, And even like I was telling you, even with writing that kind of happened with me. And it's one of the reasons I like struggled to know how to properly express myself. Mm -hmm. Um, Partially because I was such a good reader that I know what good writing is and not being able to make that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, there's a whole thing when it comes to uh, a lot of people who are studying writing have that exact thing where they go, I've I've become so attuned to identifying good writing. Right. I haven't practiced enough to be able to produce what I understand to be good writing. Is that like the Dunning-Kruger effect? Is that what it is? I don't know. When you start to learn something, you you realize how much you don't know. Oh, sure. Like when you're just a beginner, you think you're awesome. Uh-huh. And then you learn <laughs> yeah, yeah. how much you don't know. Yeah. But then once you realize that it's okay that you don't know everything. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. Um, well, and the other thing I wanted to comment on is, you know, I now I teach writing. Yeah. Um, and I, I'll describe, you know, what I call the red ink approach is what they'll do in a lot of schools, which is that you'll write something, the teacher will mark it up with every grammar mistake yeah. you've made and yeah. hand it back and say, you need to fix these. Right. And what that teaches you is, so I worked really hard on this essay and I got a full like visual page of my failings. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And so as hard as you worked, you still failed. It feels. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, really what, should be happening is we should be thinking about, okay, what strategies did you use that worked? Mm-hmm. Right. Totally. I'll, I'll teach kids all the time who they're not spelling right. You know, the words correctly or they're, you know, they're not getting the grammar stuff down, but that's fine. Cause they're child. Yeah. You know? Right. And, and it's just sort of like, I, I try to be more like, Oh, actually this is a really interesting strategy that you pulled off. Uh-huh. Right. Like, um, you know, when I talk about rhetoric, it's sort of this thing where it sounds complicated. Right. right. We use this big word, you know, rhetoric, rhetoric. Um, And then really the truth is everyone's been using rhetoric their whole life. A a child can go to their parent and be like, hey, dad, I'd really like to 
uh, get this toy. Uh, Billy from down the street has it. Yeah. And in that example, they cited a congruent source to themselves of being uh-huh. like, look, here's a comparison. Um, you know, they used uh, emotion to be like, dad, could you please do this? Right. Yeah. They use strategy in language to accomplish a communication. <laughs> totally. Right. So people have people can do this, but they're they feel like they don't have the skills for writing because they're told good writing is good grammar. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that's definitely where a lot of my insecurities came from for sure. And yeah, just like everything thinking that this is good. This is success Mm -hmm. when like success is so nebulous. Yeah. And that's like one of the reasons with like slob core and all this art stuff, there's no like goal. Even my photography, sometimes I'll like watch YouTube videos of like, big photographers and this is 10 top ways to be the best photographer Mm -hmm. and that like turns me off so much because like i don't give a shit about (laughs) having like the most polished perfect thing yeah like some people really like that granularity Mm -hmm. but it's literally just the process of doing it and capturing it and it's kind of the way i've always been Mm -hmm. and so i do just love saying like fuck the rubric fuck like yeah totally there's no outcome here like we're just making it all up as we go. Yeah. Well, and it's funny. You want to know what my favorite thing I've ever written was? Yeah. Uh, a Dirk Gently Holistic Detective Agency fan fiction. Oh my god. <laughs> right. So <laughs> it was this thing where because I knew it was fan fiction, I was like, "Well, I can't possibly get this published, mm-hmm. so I don't have that pressure. I can just write it for fun." Yeah. And uh, this is a a book series that was. Uh, written by Douglas Adams as well. But uh-huh. I was actually basing it off of a TV show that had aired two seasons and then it got canceled. Uh-huh. And I was so pissed because I loved the show. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, they could have they could have done so many more cool, crazy things. And then I was like, you know what? I'll just write season three. Nice. Oh, and, my and God. And so there's like a full like I wrote like a full novel length fan fiction of Dirk Gently. Yeah. Uh, and it was it was so fun. Yeah. I, 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 I wrote the whole thing. It was the quickest I've ever written a novel. I wrote it within like three months mm-hmm. and I was just every day I was just like when I had free time I was like oh okay I'm gonna work on I'm work on it um and it was so fun because it was basically like the whole premise is he's this detective that doesn't use clues mm-hmm. he just lets the sort of like flow of the universe guide him to where he needs to amazing. be amazing amazing <laughs> and so basically every single scene is controlled chaos yeah. from my writing perspective right. where I'm like, it's everything has to seem like nonsense until eventually you realize every single thing in the story is connected yeah. in a very um, oh, that's succinct fun. way. That's fun. Uh, yeah. So it was just a blast, but I think it's because I didn't have that pressure on myself. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, these other books I wrote, I feel like, well, I want to get them published, which means they have to be at a certain level. Yeah, totally. And that's, and I think back when I started getting into writing in like high school, uh, I already I always had this kind of mission statement for myself, which is I just want it to be something I do for fun. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I didn't want to have to make it my whole life, um, my whole like personality. I just wanted it to be like a fun thing that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, have succeeded and failed in that in various ways. Sure. Uh, and, you know, it, it's it's hard, you know, because then you get into adulthood and then every every parent or family member is like. Oh, when do I get to read your, when is it going to? Oh, totally. And it's, you know, it's hard because then also there'll be people who will want to read them Uh and then won't. Yeah. So you get really excited. Someone will be like, oh, can you send me the link and and I'll I'll send them the, you know, document. And then I'll be like, hey, so what do you think? And they go, I haven't started it. I've been too busy. Sure, sure. And uh, it's sort of a, I mean, I get it. It's a bit of a harder 
ask of engagement compared to like, hey, watch this video right, or I right. made this song. Could you listen to it? Yeah. Right. Um, but, you know, I've, I've been burned like five too many times by people sure. asking to read something. And then, I, and then it feels like, OK, I don't want to share it. Um, and so now, I, you know, I struggle to want to share you know, the stuff I write, which yeah. is a bummer because I, 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 I really like a lot of these stories. Yeah. You know, no, that's especially in the last couple of years, embracing like creating things and yeah. sharing things that it, it can be a, like a bit of a mind fuck of mm-hmm. like, for me, it's just like, cause sometimes I even worry like, am I posting too much? Am I <laughs> annoying people? And it's like, wait, no, my yeah. Instagram, whatever I do is like mine. And yeah. people that just like, putting the extra pressure of like, oh, am I a burden? Am I being annoying? Which is so funny that I worry so much about that. Yeah, it's interesting. The voice in your head that yeah. will come in and tell you, you, hey, the thing you're doing that you're enjoying, yeah. maybe it's making other people uncomfortable though. Totally. When literally it's the complete opposite. And it like totally people have is. totally appreciated like me, like seeing me and like, oh, that's what Bryn's up to. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it, it is. It's a bit of like, oh, that's what Bryn's doing right now. Or, yeah. or just, I don't know. It's a lot of it is just you kind of shooting the shit with, yourself totally like that's what i appreciated about a lot of slobcore episodes uh-huh. is you would just be like oh, i read this book the other day and i'm thinking about it a lot and i was just driving and this guy honked at me and, and it's just like yeah it just feels like you're chatting with your, your yeah. friend yeah you know totally and yeah that's when i realized that just whatever i think when i realized how much i liked podcasts and even like i watched a lot of twitch during mm-hmm. um quarantine and i made like a bunch of twitch friends and stuff yeah like the beauty of that is just how like in the moment it is. And it's not like we're crafting the perfect Twitch stream or whatever. It's yeah. just hanging out. Yeah. Like, and that's what I realized. Oh, I could just make stuff like that. Yeah. And it doesn't have to matter that it's like perfect or succinct. Cause I guess that's one thing, like even in expressing and like making the slob cores, I feel like I never quite get to what I'm like wanting to say. Mm. And maybe if I was someone who like wrote and edited a lot, mm-hmm then I could do that. But I realized like, oh no, people are actually picking up what I'm putting down. Yeah. And I'm being like way over, overthinking this sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so much on the internet. Well, that's the other thing. The internet is so, it's a weird experience. Weird place. And especially posting and making stuff. Cause I know like how much it's being perceived. Mm -hmm. And even people like, I don't know that you're one who's like commented on all the slob cores and stuff. I'm not, I'm not good at uh, social media. Yeah. Uh, I, I've never been one to engage with social media totally. all that much, which is fine. Uh, I, I, you know, I, well, that's a bit of a lie. Yeah. I was a big Facebook poster throughout uh-huh. like high school. <laughs> Classic. But this is a good example of, of like, I was, I would post, I would try to be as funny as I could. Yeah. yeah. Cause that was the image that I wanted to paint of myself was yeah. the funny guy. Totally. Um, and, I eventually I started to feel kind of shame because it was like, I'm making this a lot about me. I really am trying to get people to look at me right now. Yeah. I'm trying to get their attention. I'm trying to get their likes. Yeah. And I didn't like that game of like, I'm kind of just trying to get people to say, I like this totally. And, and to get that, that number appear in the top right of your Facebook thing. That's yeah. like, Oh, there's a notification. Yeah. Um, that dopamine hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, yeah, I didn't like interacting with it in that way. And so that really turned me off of a lot of social media. Sure. I, I have Instagram um, 
as a very low key kind of like engagement with social media. I I don't like ever do hashtags or anything. Yeah. For for the same reason of like, well, I don't want to be like, hey, look at me, look at me. Totally. Um, but I do like having a Instagram to for a few reasons where it's like, okay, well, if my friends want to see what I'm up to, they can just see pictures of things I've been doing recently. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It's also like, you know, I, I'll often post like hikes that I'm going on mm-hmm. um, because it, it weirdly makes me want to go on a hike if I know I'm going to post it later. Yeah. Oh, sure. So it's so it's like a weird motivational sure. thing. Same, my photography, it's the same kind of thing. Like yeah. Just a little bit. Well, I'll go see some cool stuff. I'll get some cool pictures. Might yeah. as well go. And then the, the third reason I have Instagram is so that if a girl wants to date me, they can be like, oh, he's a real person. Yeah, they can vet you a little yeah. bit. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well. <laughs> And I think that plays into all this that we're talking about, too, because like for me, I really have to think about something and be fully comfortable with it before engaging. Mm -hmm. So like before I turn into this little influencer, yeah, I've just been paying attention and seeing so many like pitfalls of like making stuff and Mm -hmm. like YouTubers who end up having to do big apology things. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of that is tied into when you like start like chasing those clicks and going for Mm. virality. And in some ways, like I, it's weird both engaging with this and like making something that people like and connect with. Yeah. And I know there's something there, but also being so scared of like turning into that. Yeah. I'm curious if, if you feel like, I know a lot of people who have any kind of online presence will measure success by like look at how many followers i have or look at how many comments how much does that weigh in for you because it feels like you're very casual about thankfully not too much and part of that is because i knew how much that would just like be so stressful for me Mm -hmm. and so like even though it would be cool if slobcore popped off and i could have a patreon and like make (laughs) money doing that but for me it's really just the way that i create it like doing my first take on the recording Mm -hmm. it does it's a bit of a bumper to forcing me into being like okay i'm just gonna authentically share yeah and also the fact like the reason i became a lot more online is because quarantine i was living Mm -hmm. alone i just moved to this apartment yeah and then covid hit and i was on this night shift so literally all friends and family now live on the phone Mm -hmm. and so it's like well i'm on the internet all the time Actually engaging with it does feel a little better. And then it's like, oh, I post stuff on my story. Yeah. And that's like a little door opening to friends like replying and like, yeah. oh, I'm like texting these friends. And um, that is so true. You're so, right. Because like, yeah, if I went on like a vacation recently with my family, yeah. just got an RV, went to yeah. Canada. Oh my gosh. And some great pictures. Yeah. So I would take some pictures of it and then people would just be like, whoa, where are you? And I'm like, oh, I, an excuse to talk to you. Totally. Totally. <laughs> Thank you. Hi. <laughs> well, it's interesting too. So much of like, So the podcast, American Arts and Culture Review, I started listening like right as the pandemic Mm -hmm. went in. And Rod, who's one of the hosts, started Twitch streaming. Yeah. And I'm at work on this night shift. My boss leaves at like five and I have to stay there till 11. So I'm just on the computer like watching this Twitch stream and then like chatting along. And I'd never really understood Twitch because I don't care about watching people play video games that much. Yeah. Twitch was hard. I I I don't really get Twitch either. Yeah. But what was cool is like Rod, first of all, it's other fans of this guy's podcast and Mm -hmm. this guy. And he's just this really nice guy just playing video games. But he interacts with the chat a lot. So it's kind of just like a hangout that he's hosting. Yeah. Um, And in that time of like isolation, I like 
well, I have this wellspring. I always need to be making jokes to the people I'm around. Uh-huh. And then it just turned into me making dumb old jokes yeah. on Twitch. And I never even was much of like a AIM guy or a Facebook Messenger guy mm-hmm. or a big texter. But I started doing that. And then after a few months of like watching this guy's Twitch most of the time, it's like, oh, all these other chatters, these usernames, it's the same kind of people. Yeah. And like, oh, we're all friends. That's cool. Yeah. And then it became like a discord. And then we actually met up the summer of 2021. A lot of us. That's cool. But engage like finding that online community and like kind of building it did remind me how much I also appreciate having a community IRL. Yeah. And like after college and after a breakup and like being back home, mm-hmm. I still hadn't fully like reconnected with community. Yeah. And um, so that kind of made me be like, wait, why am I being so weird about all these friends from high school? I have an Instagram. Like we're still buddies. Like, yeah, it's not like there's anything that happened. It just time goes on and people get busy. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, I had so much pressure. Like, I thought whenever I had to talk to someone I hadn't talked to in years, I needed to have this whole apology and like, I'm so sorry oh, I had this relationship, yeah. but I got really depressed. Yeah. And it's like, I can talk about that stuff, but it's also like, it's well, fine. Well, and, and the thing is like, the, whoever it is, doesn't matter who, yeah. they would come back with, oh my God, me too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, so that's um, kind of the me being more out there and then at a certain point even though i still have like social anxiety and stuff Mm -hmm. it's like oh wait no i've so many good things have come from just sharing yeah and uh making this art and like even like the podcast Mm -hmm. like you talking about when you're on facebook it's like all about me 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 yeah i do kind of feel that because at the base like this podcast is about me and the people i know sure um and i'm like the through line but it also through the podcast and through Slobcore and through my photography, it's also a cool opportunity to like take a picture of a friend and like, yeah, give, have this experience. And like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's cool that we're making a podcast. We're going to make a video. Yeah. But the main thing, it's just fun to like share a meal and like, yeah, like reconnect and talk. It, it, you've kind of hit a very uh, like genius uh, node here of, of simplicity. Yeah. Where it's really just like, well, what what is hanging out and socializing with somebody? Well, if we get some food and we talk, yeah, right. It, it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. Totally. And the mere fact that like this is really just me coming over, making nachos, yeah, and then you and me just shooting the shit, yeah. And it's just like, oh, well, this is really good. And I'm having a lot of fun. And it doesn't have to be that complicated. No. And I think there's like that simplicity is baked into slob core where like and, and there's this element where you're just like very casual because you're shirtless. And in, in yeah, all of, totally, right? totally. And so it's it, literally you're you're bearing yourself for uh-huh, us. Right. Uh-huh. Just pure. This is me. I'm doing my thing. Yeah. Um, And so, it, you know, it. it it just sort of is it's got a vulnerability to it that makes you go oh yeah okay we're we're just hanging and because you know you're talking over it like i often just feel like you know i've described how it just feels like i'm chatting with a bro yeah. when i listen to slobcore because yeah. you're just talking about whatever's on your mind totally and there's sometimes cohesion to it and sometimes there's not yeah and it doesn't ever matter yep nope <laughs> completely and I, I mean i've talked about this too but also like Riley's situation was another mm. reason that I like started doing it a yeah, lot more. Yeah, that that was interesting to hear about. I yeah. felt like that contextualized a lot of what I was seeing as well. Totally. Cuz they like definitely there was a few like parasocial relationships that they felt and like with their mental health stuff it came like very real and very intense. Mm-hmm. And like in some ways they could interact with the internet in like maladaptive ways. Sure. And so feeling this disconnect and like 
being pandemic times of being like, you know, I can at least be one of those like people on the internet. Mm -hmm. And so it's so cool that like, yeah, of course, everyone else that's seeing this, it's that thing. Mm -hmm. Um, There's something sweet about that because what you're kind of describing is you trying to sort of express uh, sibling love through the internet and then everyone else in your life receiving that love too. Totally. Totally. Well, and that's the other thing, like, because I have been blessed with like so many friends and cool people, but I always feel like I don't have the energy to like keep up. I'm not someone who just like checks in and sends texts. Yeah. But with like Instagram and this stuff, it's like, okay, I'm putting this stuff out. Mm -hmm. You can follow me. You can watch along. Like, honestly, I don't really care that much about likes and comments, but I love how you can see who sees your stories. Oh yeah. Cause that's one thing. Cause for so long I was more of a lurker online too. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like, cool. Like I can keep up with these friends. Uh, but so I think that's really special because then I can be like, oh, shit, there's like all these people who are following along and listening mm-hmm. and even like sharing like this grief, like this really heavy stuff. Yeah, that's a lot. Like, I don't expect people to comment on it. I, but I'm even just like being you, you making videos at all. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it is kind of fucking wild. Like. I had this revelation and started like creating, expressing myself more. And I guess the fucking monkey's paw like, yeah. curled because <laughs> now two years later, like I'm taking pictures and videos of Riley's body yeah. as like, we're doing the ceremony mm-hmm. and it is like really special. And I'm so glad that like I started this. And then also I had like a lot of slob cores with them and yeah. like all these pictures in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And so it is cool, but it's like, damn, I was not expecting this. Yeah. This is supposed to be chill and <laughs> laid back. And <laughs> Man, now. this really took off in a very extreme way. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's been really cool, like, working those muscles, too. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, and that's the other thing. Like, the more I talk to people, more I reconnect. It's just how, like, exhausting this world is and yeah. how everyone, like, wants to have, like, good relationships and good connections, mm-hmm. but also there's all this like pressure and expectation that we put on ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons like I've always gotten along with people. Cause like, I don't care about those things mm-hmm. and I like purposely like ignoring them. Like yeah, even things where like, uh, Oh, you go over to someone's house and you have to make sure to bring like a gift. And there's all this oh. like hum and drum. Yeah. Like, I mean, people bring me gifts sometimes and like, it's very appreciated. Mm-hmm. I'm not that good at doing that. Yeah. I guess now like I like cook a lot for people, but acts of service. Yeah, totally. Gifts giving. Yeah. But it's just yeah. I've always been pretty chill and casual Mm -hmm. and realizing that, oh, I can do that and I can have that in my art and it's not like bad. I I think it's what people really uh It's cool because you know, when I, I I've done a lot of thinking about art and its utility. And to me, art is beautiful because it's like it's human expression. Yeah. Um, and anyone who makes any form of art is sort of in, encoding a very specific, like, this is my view. This is how I'm feeling. Right. But on a grander scale, when you peel back and you realize that we're these sort of like apes, you know, it's like a being that can know its own existence mm-hmm. is reflecting on that existence and this is what it looks like. Right. And for everybody, it looks different. And that's kind of beautiful to me. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know? Totally. Yeah. And I guess doing it on the internet's this interesting thing like I was talking about before. Because so much like internet stuff is like perfectly manicured to like hit that virality. Or yeah. you can like check your insights 
and slowly change your thing. And TikTok was probably one of the places that I started getting inspired to do this. Mm -hmm. Because especially early TikTok, like there was just people like out there like trying stuff. Yeah. And it was like, oh, I see the weirdos again. Mm -hmm. Like that's one thing I miss about high school. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I miss about high school though, because high school, like everyone's kind of there. Mm-hmm. And so there's just like so many different people, different types of people. And like some uh, weirdos, I mean, I'm a weirdo too, yeah. but, uh, weirdos unite. yeah. Um, but then even in college, it's kind of like a different crowd and mm-hmm. people, I don't know, but TikTok was cool. Cause it just like, Oh, I'm seeing content that like these other social media things I've been on for so long that I don't like see these corners of the internet ever. Yeah. Um, and I think, the fact that it got big during pandemic, like people were just being more authentically themselves mm-hmm. and just like being able to see other people do that kind of like planted the seed for me. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so I, I engage with the internet, but in some ways I'm trying to be very conscientious about like the things that I hate about it and the things mm-hmm. I'm just going to ignore. Yeah. And I think that's why, Cause it's weird. I have like friends now who mm-hmm. just randomly saw Slobcore. Yeah. And now we're just like internet friends. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird. Cause I, the last couple of years have been a big experiment into turning parasociality mm. into actual sociality or whatever. Yeah. And I don't know. It's funny. Um, it, I just, I, you just made me rem- remember, yeah. um, my ex, uh, knew of you exclusively as, the slobcore kitchen guy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right. She, I was, Cause she would, she'd be like, what are you watching? And I'm like, oh, it's my friend. He's doing the slobcore yeah. kitchen. Yeah. Like, were well, you watching that cooking show again? Yeah. And, and so, you know, it's like, oh yeah, you know, I was friends with him as a kid. And, she, and so it was just like, you were this like lore figure. Oh my God. Right. I the legend, that. the slobcore kitchen guy. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know, totally. Well, that's the, so when I was a kid, mom always tells this whenever like I was in bed, I would always get fully dressed before going downstairs. Okay. And she thought it was because I was so modest or whatever. Uh-huh. And in some ways it was, but I think now is actually like, I don't want to like make anyone weird or uncomfortable if I'm mm. like in my underwear and there's like a family friend or something. Yeah. Um. So it was me like being mindful of like not being a bother to other people. So it's the shirtlessness. And so the shirtlessness, oh, yeah. It's it's been cool like- I've also really deconstructed how many like body issues I did have. Mm-hmm. And like, that's another gender thing. Like, yeah, as men, you like are kind of taught just to like not think about your body ever. And well, it, I would, I would counter that uh-huh. you, you are meant to compare your body to a, a sort of ideal that you can't match. Yes, totally. Right. There's this sort of like image of the, sort of v-shaped torso yeah. with the six-pack abs yeah. and the bulging shoulders yep. and then the square jaw totally. that you're taught is attractive um but then you know what everyone's attracted to different things oh my gosh yeah and it varies so incredibly wildly so yeah. like you know of course i'm i'm very short and uh-huh. um I know there's a lot of guys who are very much like that makes me unattractive yeah. and they feel it hard. Right. And I remember that feeling. I had it in high school quite a bit. But then what happened is, you know, one day a girl found me attractive. Yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe that's not such a hard line. Uh-huh. And then and then, you know, different types of people wanted to interact with me or be, you know, I, I you know, I, I would have relationships with different people, different bodies. Yeah. And, you know, it was so unique to whatever was 
bringing love and joy to them. Yeah. Whatever my body was like a, a attraction point. And, and sometimes me being short was the thing. Yeah, totally. And so, um, yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned, you know, the body image situation. Cause yeah. I remember there was like one time you made a post about responding to people who were like, ew, don't be shirtless. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's like, it was like one of my favorite posts you ever uh-huh, made because uh-huh. uh, I, you had this one, you like screenshot a reply <laughs> where someone says, no one wants to see this. And you just wrote wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yep, totally. and, and I remember being like, yeah, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about because like that was the thing that grabbed my attention with like yeah. the first time I saw Slobcore. Yeah. I was like, I was like, wow, Bear Bryn over here. It totally. And I, I was like, okay, he's working the sex appeal angle. Yeah. Yeah. Right, like I, I, my first like understanding was like you're doing it to be sexy, uh-huh. um, and so it's it's funny that it's more just like oh I'm just being loosey and free. Yeah. Like I usually don't have a shirt on. I'm not going to put it on to make this video. Yeah, but no, and, and definitely a little bit of that because mm-hmm. yeah, especially like I've always been super hairy. Like my legs were like kind of this hairy in like seventh grade, mm-hmm. and it's funny because it was something that a lot of other men like thought was super cool. Yeah, because like it's a symbol of like masculinity and stuff. But in my mind, I was like, oh, girls don't like that, though. Like, it's yeah. weird. And um, but for me, like doing it shirtless was definitely very intentional. And it's like fighting against that because like mm-hmm. after unraveling my own body issues, I just realized like, oh, my gosh, so many people have them. And like, yeah, I mean, everyone's got something. Yeah. Right. Because they're all they're all programmed to believe they're unlovable in X or Y way. Yeah. And it, it's really hard to detangle yourself from that because it just becomes like an uh, assumed thing. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this is just how it is. This is how the world perceives me. Yeah. But of course you can't know how everyone perceives you. Totally. Everyone, everyone's living in their own weird fever dream. Totally. And so, you know, they're, they're just, they cut their interaction with you with their own lived experience, yep. whatever that might be. Yep. And so for some people it's positive, for some people it's negative. So right. like when people were like making those like rude comments, you know, about your body, it's sort of like, yeah, that really is just them being upset with themselves. Yeah. And the internet is like just depersonalized enough yeah. that you can feel comfortable like straight up commenting on this person's account. Yeah. How gross their body is. And I do I do like that level of like um I'm kind of poking the bear a little bit uh-huh. <laughs> to where, yeah, I'm mixing like food and I'm like feeding people and you just saw me like cooking yeah. with my super hairy chest. Yeah. And yeah. Like, yeah I, it makes sense if someone thinks it's gross that there's hair mm-hmm. in food, but for me, it's not like I'm shedding. Yeah. I don't know. I mean like, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine that you'd have a scenario where you're like looking at the food, there's the hair in there and you're like, yeah. so you did this to me. <laughs> right. How right. dare you do this to me? Yeah. Right. When you could just very easily be like, Oh, the scoop. Uh huh. But it is one of the reasons I do like sharing when I get those comments. Mm-hmm. Cause, and I reply cause it's like, I reply as if I'm a person you just said it to because that's yeah. literally what it is. <laughs> yeah. And in their mind, it's like, well, this influencer or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just to like say, yeah, this is stupid. And some people do think this way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a cool thing. I'm glad I did that. Yeah, for sure. Because, yeah, it is weird. Like, OK, I'm going to start sharing like just mm-hmm. me topless cooking food to like. Yeah everyone I went to elementary and middle school with and mm-hmm. then also like college friends and like family friends and like yeah. friend parents of friends. Yeah. It's, it's weird when you realize like, I Oh geez, my, my aunt has bit. seen my nipples. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, <laughs> be bold. You said, yep, exactly. But yeah. So I'm, it just, it makes me super glad that like you connected with that and that it's, yeah. uh, 
yeah, I don't know. I thought it, it, was, it was just, you know, fresh and comforting. And also I was just like, that's hot. Yeah, totally. You know? Thank you. Nice. Thank you. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, and, you know, I don't know how much you want to talk about, uh-huh. um, you know, Riley in this. Yeah. But of course, Riley oh, yeah. had their own sort of relationship with gender and presenting their body, which mm-hmm. you would have a lot more knowledge of. Yeah. I, I have a, like a single point of connection with it. Yeah. That I'd I love to I hear. Share. Yeah. So just that like... Um, you know, I've I've had my own journey with trying to figure out what I I, I want to present. You know, I, I I oscillate between feeling very masculine and, and feminine. Yeah. Um. And so I'm I'm often neither or somewhere in, in you know. Yeah. I'm very comfortable saying like I'm uh, I'm a man and I I feel he him totally uh, vibes, but also like you know let's grow my hair out long sometimes yeah. or whatever. So anyways, um. I had a moment where I was sort of playing around with this mm-hmm. um, and I was playing around with it in what I felt like was maybe a safe space, which was my partner at the time where I did some cross-dressing uh-huh. um, and it was really fun. I had a good time with yeah, it. Yeah, totally. Um, and it was also just sort of like, ooh, is this wrong? <laughs> um, and so but later um, I was at this gathering with um, a bunch of uh, people uh, who went to school with us uh-huh. and they had been at a party that Riley was at. Yeah. And they were telling me the story about the party and how... Um, they're like, yeah, Riley, Riley Nelson was there. And uh-huh. all of a sudden cross-dressing and they were like, they're like, whoa. And it was like a cool thing. Yeah. And, I, and I was like, Hey, this is like a moment that I can, oh like, I was like, I was like, oh yeah, I've done some cross-dressing. And, but my partner, was, shh, she like shushed me. Whoa. And so it's sort of this weird, like, oh, is this maybe not okay? Yeah. You know? And so it was like in this moment of me trying to figure out where is right and what is comfortable and yeah. what's okay to share or not. You know, it it turned out there were still aspects of my of you know my relationships in my life that was still pulling me towards you know a more conservative don't right, don't share that kind right. of thing. Wow. You know? Yeah, Thanks but but I, but I was very like I always remember that story because I was like, well, it's so cool that Riley was able to just like in that public setting just go out yeah. and just just completely gender bend and just say like Judith Butler, let's do it. Totally. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, that's I love hearing that, and that's like so special for you to share that i appreciate it and that's like riley is just so bold and like Mm -hmm. did that and was like open about their explorations and yeah yeah it's something i always looked up to them about because i've always been more like pulled back and like nervous um but they were just confident they had the boldness yep so that's that's super special and Yeah. yeah that also, just your partner's insecurities. Yeah. Like, that's, that's such a thing. Yeah, we were young, too. Oh, you sure. Know, I always try to, like, caveat with that. Yeah. You know, like, I was still probably untangling a lot of my childhood relationship with gender as yeah. they were, too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was still sort of, you know, it's a good example of, like, how socialization kind of forces you into thinking in certain ways Co- and, and feeling not safe to you know, try, try out gender, you know, in different ways. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think we're living in a very interesting time for gender. Um, I'll, I'll speak towards a more masculinity kind yeah. of sense, because I think that's a little bit more what we have some connection with, mm-hmm. but I, I feel like, and I'll also caveat by saying that I think masculinity is always redefining itself. Oh, every sure. generation. Sure. But we live in a very unique moment for that yeah. where we're post, the Me Too movement, we're in, we're post pandemic. Yeah. Right. So, you know, we have, we have boys growing up who are witnessing a, this little, uh, this, this sort of moment where we're going, oh, every woman in my life has had a horrific experience yeah. because of dumb behavior from men. Yeah. 
right? And so as they're learning to become a man themselves, they're sort of being like, okay, what can I do to avoid those pitfalls? Mm -hmm. Ideally. Now, that's not actually what a lot of boys are doing. Sure, sure. There are a lot of boys who are taking it completely the opposite way, and it's really disheartening. Yeah. Um, But then we also have the pandemic. And so the pandemic happens where you're now forced into isolation mm-hmm. and you start to realize how much you needed a connection yeah. and also how much you didn't have any skills for how to reach out for connection. Yeah. And so, you know, you're trying to understand yourself and, you know, these masculinity traits that seemed to f- work okay in high school, mm-hmm. you know, just sort of making fun of people and and saying, that's gay. Yeah. <laughs> they're not working. And in a right. very significant way, they're not working. Right. And so a lot of people are having to just from the ground up redefine, I, I'm speaking about masculinity because that was sort of my experience. Sure, sure. You know, what, what is masculinity for me and what those traits that I want to preserve are and, mm-hmm. and put forth. Um, I had a very specific shift. Uh, when you invited me on here, I think I made a comment like, I'm sorry, I'm not as funny as I used to be in high school. <laughs> right. Um, I, I had a very specific shift away from trying to be the funny person. Yeah. Um, cause that was really my identity for so long. And uh-huh. I think it was a survival mechanism. Yeah. Also, you are really funny. Oh, thank you. I, it is, it is one of those truths, but I do understand. I appreciate yes. that. Um, it, but it was what this thing where like, you know, I remember growing up and I would always use humor to diffuse a situation. Yeah. Same. If there was ever a moment where it looked like someone was going to get aggressive with me, mm. I knew if I could get them to laugh that they wouldn't be aggressive with me. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I, I could avoid violence in that way. Yeah. Um, I even, I was only ever in one quote unquote fight. I didn't do anything. Um, it was a kid who punched me oh my in the God. stomach, middle school. Oh no. Um, I, a little bit, I, you know, I had it coming. It yeah. was, it, yeah. it comes out of this culture of like trying to be part of the, you know, the, the clicks and, and the, I'm one upping each other and right. we're making fun of each other. And we think that that's okay until it isn't right. It was yep. like me and another guy were calling this dude, um, by a different name. Yeah. And it wasn't his name. Right. But in my head, it was like, we, we're doing it cause it's fun uh-huh. or something. Yeah. yeah. And then it didn't occur to me that he didn't want to be called that name until he punches me in the stomach one day. <laughs> oh no. Um, and so, but it, you know, I used humor to diffuse that. I was like, um, I, let, let's joke about this. Let's talk about this. I'm not going to fight you back. Right. And then it, it did eventually lead to me apologizing and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So at least that was fine. That's good. But so anyways, humor was this sort of defense tactic for me for so long. Yeah. And um, it used to be the only way I could like connect with people yeah. was if I could make them laugh. Right. And that works until you need to be serious. Yep. You know, <laughs> Definitely. And, until there are moments where you're in relationships with people and they're coming at you with very earnest asks and you're just sort of like making jokes. You can't jokes. laugh it away. You can't laugh it away. Yeah. Um, you have to deal with it. And of course, you know, I'm talking about how it's very difficult, you know, me being socialized as a guy yeah. to like identify how I'm feeling and let alone what to do with those fe- feelings. And so all I would do is joke. Yeah. And, and that started to not work out for me as an adult as I moved into adulthood. And so I made a very conscious, a conscious shift. I, my primary trait was no longer going to be that I'm funny. I uh-huh. made that as a, a very specific decision. Yeah. I, and, and then it became all right, what, what do I want it to be? What right. do I want to present? And I landed on kindness. Um, That's which a good one. I, I think, yeah, as far as <laughs> traits go, it's pretty, pretty yeah, good. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm not cracking the jokes as often, um, but I am asking how people are doing more often. Nice. And you know what? People appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, people, totally. People like it when you check in and ask about how they're doing and sure. approach, you know, their t- 
you know, when they share, you know, if you provide some empathy back yeah. and just try to say, oh, that's, you know, that sounds frustrating or like I can imagine how that would be for me. Um, just trying to present kindness has been a lot more successful. Yeah. And so anyways, all of this is a narrative related to the notion of, you know, building new versions of masculinity. What do we want that to look like? Right. Because I think I think society social wise m- men we need to we need to sort it out it's oh, it's yeah. bad and oh, we gotta yeah. stop pretending like it's not and we and you know i think we have an imperative to like sh- present a better form of masculinity and try to pass that on yeah to, to you know growing boys and whatnot and i feel very privileged in that i get to work with kids um, and, sure. and so uh, often a lot of the boys will trust, find trust in me cause they'll be like, oh, he's older brother adjacent, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and I get to be there for moments where they're feeling overwhelmed usually by like, I've given them a writing assignment uh. or whatever, but <laughs> uh. they're feeling overwhelmed and I get to do something different than what was done for me by teachers, which is I get to say, let's put this aside. Let's talk about how you're feeling. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, that social emotional learning is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and like, they're there for it. You would think a lot. I do run into the occasional boy who will say like, they'll, they'll back off and they'll, they'll not want to connect. Sure. Um, most of the time they're there for that conversation. Oh yeah. And they don't have the words for it, which is where I get to step in. And this is, you know, kind of a, uh, a, I'll call it a joy just because it's, it's an honor to be able to be in this position, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, they're struggling and sure. they don't have the words, but I can just try to give it to them. Yeah. You know, are you feeling red? Or are you feeling blue? Do you feel green? They're like I'm, I'm like orange, you know, like it's an abstraction, but we're, we're talking about it. Yeah. Oh, know? totally. Um, I had this one kid who was just, he was just upset and he just goes under the table disappears under the table. Yeah. So what do you do? Of course I go under the table too. <laughs> um, and he's angry cause uh-huh. he was really overwhelmed and he was not succeeding in the lesson we were doing. And he was noticing that he wasn't succeeding. Right. And so he goes under the table and he's just, <clears throat> and I'm like, how are you feeling? He's like, Ugh. and I go, do you feel angry? And he goes, <laughs> and he's not going to talk to me. Uh-huh. And so I go, okay, let's, let's try it this way. Um, do you feel like you want to punch something or do you feel like you want to disappear? Mm-hmm. He goes, I want to punch something. <laughs> and I go, oh, what do I got? Uh, <laughs> and I was like, would ripping something be okay? He goes, yeah, let's rip something. Nice. And so I got a piece of paper and I'm like, I want you to rip that into as many pieces as you can. He just goes at it, goes at it. Um, one of the other tutors walked by, they were like putting something away and they're like, Adam, what are you doing under the table? I'm like, we're having an emotional release. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? The kid felt better yeah. afterwards. So oh I was like, do you still feel you know, angry. He's like, I feel better. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. You know? Yeah. And that's like the beauty of starting to like think about and work through those things within yourself. Uh It really does allow you to be able to support like others. Like obviously it's a kid. Yeah. But just there is times where probably teachers like feel so uncomfortable. Like, I don't know how to navigate this where, Mm -hmm maybe that's a harder thing to do. I've seen it. I've seen, um, you know, some of the older tutors, they'll just, their response is mostly just, I'm going to sit here till it's time. We're ready to work again. Yeah. You know, which isn't, you know, I can see how they might have some, God, I'm tired and I have to do all this work. But, you know, to me, those are the worth it moments. Oh, totally. It's like, yeah, I can teach them to read and write. Um, and that's, that's its own success. But these kind of lessons are, in my opinion, 
more necessary. Yeah. You know, especially for kind of trying to mold a new world where, you know, men are a lot more empathetic, essentially. Right. right. Yeah. Because that is like one of the things, especially noticed amongst older people, obviously, because mm-hmm. like their socialization through gender is even more intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's just how much those like status quos and those expectations they like hold on to as a comfort and like a reason to like avoid those things like men like mm-hmm. not getting into their emotions because that's what they're comfortable with. Yeah, unless and the it, emotions anger. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Um and yeah, so it can be I understand why it's hard for people to like start to look through that. Cause like then you have to be like, oh wow, like this gender stuff's been affecting me my whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um which I think is some reason there's like the older people who just are so bad at like picking up pronouns. Yeah. And like, I can't it do is it. frustrating. And I know like a lot of my trans friends and stuff mm-hmm. like struggle with that. Um, and it's almost a way that like, I think gender expression and like exploration, mm-hmm. even just like thinking about it forces you to think about your own gender stuff. That's exactly. And it. so much of people's relationship with their gender, mm-hmm. like there's so much that goes into that. Yeah. And then starting to think about it can be uncomfortable. Yeah. And then they lash out or like, just like pretend that's not a thing. I've, I've often thought about this when it comes to, right. So in the last, you know, two decades, we've had immense social change when it comes to queerness and LGBTQA. Yeah. Oh my plus. gosh. Um, you know, rights and acceptance and conversations and discourse. But there's very clearly a huge dichotomy between how sort of queerness was able to be sold to the cis community. Yeah. Like, like gayness was an easier sell. Right. Because they could say, oh, these are, this is love. Right. Transness forces those people to reconsider themselves. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, I mean, there's a lot of other things at play right now sure. with our politics and how it's transness is being appropriated as a fear tactic very specifically oh, right now in yes. politics. And yes. it's really awful because it's yes. like five million steps back. Um, but it, it's it's much more of an ask for people to then be like, well, wait a minute. So if there's if it's not binary, right. then I am what right. i didn't need to play by these <laughs> yeah, rules yeah i didn't need to accept these like big life changes i could have wore a dress this whole time right definitely you know um and yeah and so yeah it's certainly it's it's a struggle for the you know older generation right. i i noticed the younger generation it's intensely easier yeah. so like oh, yeah. i there's this, this is a good example so one of the lessons that i'll teach because you know we're doing writing and reading is um what is a pronoun right right and in a very like academic sense like okay we're using he, he she they this is possessive pronouns right her his theirs yeah um the lesson that i'll teach from i i alter every single time i teach it because it'll specifically say uh there has to be a plural mm-hmm. pronoun and i'm like that's not how the language works yeah that's not how we use that word anymore it's right. there's a cultural shift has happened and i'll explain this to the kids and they'll be like I don't know what you're talking about, but I know that this is singular. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, totally. You know, like they are already on board. Like they, them, there is a lot easier because they're just like used to seeing it. It's happening in more places. Yeah. A lot more places will like on name tags say pronouns and that's becoming normalized. Yeah. And it's weird to see the people who are against that. I hate pronouns. Yeah. yeah. It, it's just sort of like, is really not affecting 
negatively anything, yeah. you could honestly just not read it. Right. If you felt like that, yeah. you know, it's very bizarre. Yeah. No, it is. Yeah. Very frustrating for sure. But mm -hmm. yeah, it is. I don't know. It's um, definitely like does my heart a lot of good just seeing more people. Because that's the thing with all the trans people I know mm -hmm. when they started feeling comfortable, like sharing that and yeah. like maybe presenting publicly, they felt so much better. And like. Yeah. Just allowing someone to be their authentic selves. And I actually, um, there's a cool, cause people think gender spectrum, like, okay, it's just a one dimensional spectrum. Uh -huh. And I saw some people saying like, no, it's two dimensional. And I saw oh. this TikTok talking about the three dimensionality oh, of it. Oh, okay. So yeah. there's like your gender identity, like your personal identity, and then your presentation. Mm -hmm. And then the third one is also your like, the amount of importance it is to you. Oh, interesting. And so like for me, yeah. I'm like, I'm a man yeah. and I'm like fairly like butch, I guess. Maybe <laughs> that's not the best way, but you couldn't be like a more feminine man. And that's cool too. And then the third one is just like ambivalence or like deeply important. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty fucking ambivalent. Like, yeah. I, I don't let, I get you. I've gotten to the point where I don't let like the expectations of what men are supposed to do mm -hmm. really affect me. Which feels nice, and I don't like. It, it, it'd be kind of nice if you know this all is to hopefully indicate that maybe we're moving to a you know less gender specific way of existing with one another. Yeah, it's a lot. It'd be a lot more free. Everyone would feel a lot more freer to be themselves oh, in that totally. scenario. Totally, and, this, and I mean everyone. Like literally, everyone would benefit from us sort of adapting to that mindset. Yeah, yeah. You know? I think, yeah, because there's ways that like I think about. I talk about so many women, mm -hmm. talk to so many women about video games. Yeah. And that's something that was like very gender, especially when you're going up. Yeah, that's so strange. And less so now. But girls were still playing video games and they loved it. But there was yeah. this like, well, I'm not playing Call of Duty or I'm not like a super gamer. And yeah. then a lot of guys like, I'm like I don't play Call of Duty. Use their gamerness. Yeah. 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 Use their gamerness as like a way to like prove their manliness. That's so interesting. I have yeah. a thought. Not, sorry please, to interrupt please, you, but no. I, you just unlocked. That's podcasting, um, baby. Uh, uh, junior year of high school, I'm in Mr. O'Neill's psychology class. Yeah. And we're, we're talking about um, pressures and expectations um, on gender. Yeah. And he's asking us to make a list of like for the uh, women of the class. And it, I, this was a binary lesson I'll, is my caveat. Sure. Um, is he said for the uh, women, where are the moments where you feel like you need to be a lady? Mm -hmm. And for the guys, when do you feel like you need to be a man? And there was this one answer that a lot of the guys put on it that I didn't, cause I was not into call of duty. Yeah. They said, I need to be a man in call of duty. Right. That was their answer. And yeah. I was, so, I thought that was so bizarre. I was totally. like, what do you mean? And then they were like, they had a whole discussion about it. And I kind of listened and they were talking about how like they're on call of duty and people are like shouting this and that. And you gotta, you gotta come back at them. Otherwise you're the loser. Right. And you gotta, and, and it's within that toxic framework of like, you know, you're, you're saying the slurs, you're saying the, oh you know, this is gay. Yeah. All of these things, very homophobic comments or like the oh, banged your mom joke that they would do. Yeah. Right. It's like all of these very extreme toxic masculinity sort of related comments that would be in this Call of Duty sphere where they feel like they have this pressure to perform as a man. Right. It's uh, it was, it's interesting. Very, yeah. No, definitely so interesting. And yeah. Yeah. I. 
And for me, like, I'm kind of glad, like, I think I always kind of found that stuff pathetic. <laughs> yeah. Um, And not to say that, like, if anyone, like, you are into that, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily pathetic now. But it's just like, yeah, this weird thing where, like, that's the culture and then feeling like you have to do it. Mm-hmm. And then also, like, yeah. But it is weird because I feel like so men, so many men, like, they just feel like, oh, girls don't play video games. Yeah. Um, but for me, like, I know so many women that are way better at video games than I am. <laughs> yeah. And my, my last but partner they, played like, so up. many more games than yeah. I did. Yeah. You know, oh, she totally. was the gamer between us. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but then also, I think when you're a girl gamer, then you feel like this ostracization or like, yeah. you can't do voice chat because then it's like, oh, a girl. I've, I've seen that for are, sure. Like, super shitty. I remember that in my World of Warcraft days. If anyone outed themselves as being a girl, it yeah. was like harassment immediately yeah totally you know which yeah just all this stuff's so dumb and it just like it hurts connection yeah and there's a thing like a lot of women will talk about like do men do straight men even like women (laughs) like at a very basic level of like relationships Mm -hmm. there can become like this well i'm acting as a man and so i'm gonna do the minutes Maybe yeah. 10, 15 minutes that only exists between you and I, yeah. even though we can't exactly remember what we talked I, about. It, it ended with me about to talk about the history of beer consumption. So maybe we're okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I was peer, going through the Hitchhiker's uh, book that we brought out at the beginning um, just to find the scene. That's my tattoo's sort of origin. Yeah. And I thought might as well, since we completely have no transition, that we should just start with this really short scene. I think that's perfect. I think it also encapsulates a, a lot of what it is to exist in this world. <clears throat> Another thing that got forgotten was the fact that against all probability, a sperm whale had suddenly been called into existence several miles (laughs) above the surface of an alien planet. And since this is not a naturally tenable position for a whale, this poor, innocent creature had very little time to come to terms with its identity as a whale before it then had to come to terms with not being a whale anymore. This is a complete record of its thought from the moment it began its life till the moment it ended it. Ah! What's happening? It, it thought. Or excuse me. Uh, who? Who am I? Hello. Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? What do I mean by who am I? Oh, calm down. Calm down. Get a grip. Uh, ooh. Uh, this is an interesting sensation. What? What is it? It's sort of a yawning, t- tingling sensation in my my. Well, I suppose I better start finding names for things if I want to make any headway. And what, for the sake of what I shall call an argument, I shall call the world. So let's call it my stomach. Good. Ooh. It's getting quite strong. And hey, what about this whistling, roaring sound going past what I'm suddenly going to call my head? Perhaps I can call that wind. Is that a good name? It'll do. Perhaps I can find a better name for it later when I found out what it's for. It must be something very important because there certainly seems to be a hell of a lot of it. Hey, what's this thing? This, let's call it a tail. Yeah, tail. Hey, I can really thrash it about pretty good, can't I? Wow. Wow, this feels great. Doesn't seem to achieve very much, but I'll probably find out what it's for later on. All right, now I've built up any coherent picture of things yet? No. Uh, never mind. Hey, this is really exciting. So much to find out about. So much to look forward to. I, I'm quite dizzy with anticipation. Or is it the wind? There really is a lot of that now, isn't there? And wow, hey, what's that thing coming toward me very fast? <laughs> very, very uh. fast. So big and flat and round. It, it needs a big, wide-sounding name like ow, ound, round, ground. That's it. That's a good name. Ground. I wonder if it'll be friends with me. (laughs) And the rest 
after a sudden wet thud was silence. <laughs> Curiously enough, the only thing that went through the mind of the bowl of petunias as it fell was, oh no, not again. <laughs> Many people have speculated that if we knew exactly why the bowl of petunias had thought that, we would know a lot more about the nature of the universe than we do now. <laughs> Ooh, Douglas Adams, <laughs> yes. go off. Love that scene. That's I, a great one. I love it as just like a little encapsulation of what it means to be a, a little bipedal ape walking on planet Earth. Like, <laughs> yeah. whoa, okay, what's happening? We're, what are we doing? So I'm a whale. I yep. think I'm a whale. Very yep. good. And things are going great. Oh, shit, I'm going to die. I am plummeting towards. <laughs> I'm going to die. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So anyways, that's uh, great. Good a transition as we'll get uh, back into whatever it is we were talking about. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Is there any anything more that you wanted to bring up hmm. on the Podcore Slobcast? We've really I feel like we've hit a lot of good notes. Yeah, we have. We have hit quite a, a, a lot. Do you of have notes. have any messages for the listeners out there? Words of wisdom? I, I mean, I would just say everyone take this as an opportunity just say, hey, what's up to your friends that you yeah. haven't talked to in a decade? Because we did a little, when you came to the picnic, uh -huh. I was like, oh, it's been literally a decade. Yeah, you <laughs> said, um, Adam, it's been a minute. And I said, it's been 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, re reach out to your friends. Say hi. Uh, they're not going to think it's weird. They're going to be grateful for it. Yeah, yeah. totally. Totally. Um, yeah, I... Hmm, are there other... Oh my gosh. Mm. Do you remember this time? This is another like elementary school memory. One time I was over to your house mm -hmm. and your bathroom upstairs oh, was no. like a slide door. Yeah. And I was taking a shit or something uh -huh. and I locked the door and I got trapped in there. Uh huh. And it was so funny because I was like, I don't want to cause a scene. Like I remember like getting up and trying to open it a couple times. Uh -huh. And then like giving up and like, oh, what do I do? And then just like waiting and trying again. And eventually I had to like knock like, help, because <laughs> I was stuck in there. That was so common of a thing to happen, though. Yeah, you, you were not the only one that happened to that bathroom. It was like the great shame of my family <laughs> for like my entire life. And it's been so long. Like it literally was just this past year that my parents finally renovated it. And uh -huh. it's like it's like the whole world's different now. Yeah. You know, our, the house is a house now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's funny that that sliding door, people would lock it. And we all knew living here, like, don't lock it. Yeah. It, yeah. It's going to be a problem. So we would never lock it. And it, in our heads, it's like, well, if the door's closed, someone's in there. Right. Right. Because you have to like choose to close that door. It, it, otherwise, it's open because it, it would go into the wall. Uh -huh. You have to pull it out of the wall to close it. Right. Um. And so, yeah, people would get trapped in there all the time. I, I love I love the notion of you just being like, I, I guess I'm going to give up. Yeah. <laughs> like, I guess it's my life now as I'm in this bathroom, yeah. the worst bathroom of the house. Um, yeah, that bathroom has had various stages of disarray. Um, uh, my mom at one point was uh, going through the laundry room, which is... Um, part of the house that was like a newer addition yeah. in the in that life of the house um and she found a like a patron magazine uh -huh. like a catalog of some kind yeah. and it was titled like 101 uh, sh uh chic but cheap um <laughs> like bathroom ideas uh -huh. and it was everything that was in our bathroom oh my god it was like the really <laughs> shitty wall that was like wood and like falling apart uh -huh. it was the really awful like hang and frame mirror that was also falling apart yeah um it was the door that slides out from the wall 
everything that was on that page <laughs> was in our bathroom. And my mom was like, this is why. Yeah. This is why my bathroom is <laughs> we the way it is. Astray. And she framed it and put it in the bathroom. <laughs> so that way, anytime we invited guests over, she could point to it and be like, I'm so sorry about the bathroom. Here's why. <laughs> Here's why. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I also, I think this is maybe a middle school mm. when we weren't really hanging out as much. There was one time where my papa was supposed to pick me up from a friend's house. Yeah. And I don't know what friend, like, who I was hanging out with, but he just had either heard or thought Adam. Mm -hmm. And so I just remember there's a story where he just like showed up probably like a Saturday morning uh -huh. at your place and your mom, like, <laughs> I think she had just gone out of the shower or something <laughs> and she answered the door and she's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Your dad, I have a, um, your, your dad managed to work his way into like a permanent memory of Perfect. my childhood. Yeah. I don't know that. how this situation came about uh -huh, uh -huh. but your dad is it's like in stevenson era yeah we're all in the music room and your dad's like leading a song with everybody yes yeah, so my parents they like helped out and they love like camp campfire songs and like church camps and stuff yeah and there were a couple days where they went and taught everyone so yeah because the memory continue. i have is your dad being like let me see that funky chicken yep. that's that's the ooh, one that everyone remembers ah, ah, ooh. <laughs> ah, 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 ooh. yeah it's burned in my memory because yep. your dad like did the funniest chicken dance oh, during totally, it like totally. almost it's like that you know straight out of the jimmy neutron movie where the parents are just like chicken dancing it yep, up you know yep oh uh, yeah that's permanently in my brain is that memory totally i'm glad that for the exclamation because i was always like why was Bryn's dad there right <laughs> totally that, he wasn't part of the like staff of the school uh -huh. did he like ask them to do the chicken dance for people right you right <laughs> i have this skill yeah. yeah he also did math groups i which remember was, that and that was another thing where it's like the kids who were like excelling at math um mm -hmm. and actually i remember there, I, I guess I won't say her name, but there was one uh, girl that went to school with that was like really upset that she wasn't in math groups or whatever. Mm, yeah. And I remember it being a thing that she like kept bringing up, like you're in math groups, whatever. Yeah. But honestly, it, it makes sense. It makes sense mm -hmm. why she was jealous because actually Keep remembers this thing we talked about in our episode. Mm -hmm. But one day he did French fry math. And so we were ah. kind of learning the basics of like statistics and averages and means and yeah. modes and stuff. And he just got a bunch of French fries from McDonald's. I remember we like, this. We measured all of them. The French fries. Yeah, because I was I was never good at math, but for some reason I was in that math. You were in the math group? Yeah. Heck yeah. I don't know. Because yeah, yeah. literally every else in my childhood, I'm not good at math, except for in that one example nice. where I'm in the math group. Nice. But I remember the French fries. Yeah. Oh my God, because I wanted to eat them. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And I think he... He did a thing where either the next time or that time, he also brought hot French fries that we could eat. Ooh. That we weren't like touching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dang, that's cool. Yeah. No, that was really cool that he was able to do that. Mm -hmm. and yeah, I love that the, especially the funky chicken, because that's a song that sticks. And then it ends with do the cockroach and you get on your oh, back yeah. and like, put your legs and feet yeah. arms up in the air. Yeah, I love, you know, because now I'm the adult who has a bunch of like camp songs that yeah. I'll use for kids. Yeah. Uh, I was working with this kid a couple weeks ago and he was doing a classic like he's just going to repeat everything I say. Uh -huh. I was like, hey, so we're doing the short A sound. It's going to go. ah. We're doing the short A sound. It's going to go. ah. OK, good for copying me, but don't you know, you got the sound, but let's not be rude. Yeah. Oh, good for copying me. Blah, blah, blah. And so then I was like, OK, what do I know? Off the top of my head, that he won't be able to repeat, and I was like, "Okay, I got yeah." I just I came out with one camp song. 
one fat hen and a couple of ducks, three baby brown bears, four rabbit running hares, five fat fidgety felines, six simple Simon selling salt and Siam, seven salty sailors selling the seven seas, oh my God. eight elongated elephants escalating on an escalator, <laughs> nine nasty nose nibriots nibbling on the nose of nine nasty nose nibriotic newts, and ten two tall, two ton transcontinental tractor trailers traveling from Tallahassee, Tennessee to Tucson, Texas on two tanks of Texaco gas on a Tuesday twice. Whoa. And the kid made it to like uh, five fat fidgety felines before he was like, uh, slow down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I submit. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, there's a... Uh, yeah, both my parents just love those campground songs. And yeah. I always hated singing. Like, the rest of my family's in choirs. Mm-hmm. And partially, I think it felt, like, embarrassing and stuff. I didn't want to do it at church. Yeah. Um, But all those... Just being around it, I learned them all by osmosis anyway. Like, mm-hmm. I know all those songs. Yeah. Like, in my blood. Yeah, it's, that was another thing where when I was a kid, I didn't like it, but now I love to sing. Yeah, uh, sure. I remember I uh, we had a choice in, for, in one of the grades. It was like either being choir or do an instrument. Yeah, yeah. And I chose choir because that same, seemed easier, mm-hmm. but I also didn't want to do it. Yeah. Um, And then it like led on to this thing where like we would, the choir would then be in a part of a play. Mm-hmm. Um, And I remember this very specifically because they had to line us up in this bleachers, the choir. Yeah. And they lined us up by height so that people could see our faces. Yeah. I was shortest and so was Keep. And so we were placed next to each other yeah. at the very far end <laughs> of this bleacher. Uh-huh. And the thing is, I was so far to the right that I was actually behind the curtain. <laughs> So, so like, you know, my parents came to this thing and I wasn't visible at all. And that was exactly how I wanted it. Cause I didn't want to be there. So I actually just, yeah. I didn't even sing. I just stood there because <laughs> they couldn't see me. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Um, do you remember what part you were in ring out the bells of freedom? No, I was in the choir behind the curtain. That I was, think. that was yeah. that same thing. I, I think nice. so. Cause I, I didn't participate in any of the things that I could get away with. And I think that was the yes. one we were all required to be a part yeah, of. Yeah. And that was my contribution was standing silently behind the curtain. Nice. Yeah. See, that was the peak of my musical theater Man, days. Ralph Nelson. Ralph Nelson. Yes. <laughs> I, and basically just because Ralph Nelson like worked with my mom and I think she helped when my older siblings were mm-hmm. doing it. Um, They're like, Oh, Bryn's got it. Yeah. So I was both Abraham Lincoln and I gave oh, yeah. a monologue of the first bit of the Gettysburg Address. Uh-huh. And then I think I was, I don't know how this worked. I think there maybe was someone else who was going to do it and then they dropped out. Mm-hmm. But I was also Thomas Jefferson. Okay. And I had the solo for Ring Out the Bells of Freedom. Ooh, yeah. And I actually, I just uh, copied that whole video and like looked back at it. Uh-huh. And that was... That was the peak of my uh, yeah. my musical career. <laughs> no, nothing will ever top, though, uh, the Hey Mister. Oh, hey, uh, mister, what do you do? Yes. Hey, mister, fuck <laughs> you. I don't remember how it went, but that was the yeah, vibe. Yeah. Uh, and I remember, like, like the, the girls were like, that was the thing they wanted to be in. Oh, Because totally. it was, like, the big, like, like hype song, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And all the boys were like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> You better give me the right to vote. Right. Do what? Do what? <laughs> Man, Man, that's a banger. Yeah. And it, I've I've talked to some other people who know Ralph Nelson mm-hmm. through like their other school in Portland. Oh, okay. That's actually been a cool thing about like being an adult and being back in Portland. It's mm-hmm. like there are a lot of people who didn't grow up here, which is fine. Yeah. But also like when I do meet someone, like my friend Logan went to Cleveland mm-hmm. and it's like, it's so cool like talking to people because I don't know. Southwest Portland's kind of weird. Yeah. And it's this thing like I'm so proud of being from Portland, but also I'm like 
basically living in Tiger and like yeah. like we are the suburbs of Portland. We're, we're like technically Portland. Yeah. I've also had that same insecurity of being like, I'm from Portland, but like also you're not going to believe me kind of, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and, but yeah, it's also strange because yeah, I, I, I was just, I'd been living on the East side up until about a month ago. I moved, yeah. finally moved back to this area. Yeah. Um, and I love living on the east side. It was really cool. But it's it's like, you know, very different. Oh, my gosh. Totally. Um, just like economically. And um, I mean, it, there's also a lot of a lot more cool things, I would argue. Like, yeah. like where we have Multnomah Village, there's like a million Multnomah Village-esque streets yes. where there's just a bunch of really cool independent shops that you can go visit. Restaurants. Yeah. And it's so much more walkable. And, yeah. Like Southwest Portland is not walkable. It's, it's hills and it's and... hills and it's hills. And you better have like calves and thighs because there's hills yep. everybody yep um and so uh i don't know it, but when i was feeling living on the east side i was like okay now i can call myself a portland yeah totally um though <laughs> now that i've i've moved back uh i don't have that same like weirdness about it yeah and i'm like ah, oh, you know whatever you know it's, it's all portland i guess totally chill. i just live here totally <laughs> it's in my apartment yep yeah <laughs> Yeah. So, so I was curious. You you mentioned very casually oh, church, please. and this is like I think the topic of religion was something I never had with. I didn't talk to anybody about it growing up. Me and either. so occasionally people will like throw out a thing like, "Oh, at church," and yeah. I'll be like, "Oh, were you going to church every week?" And I didn't totally. know. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I never really talked about it at school because mm-hmm. for one, I was just kind of annoyed to have to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is interesting because like talking like in college, meeting friends from other parts of the country. It's like you assume in those parts, you assume everyone goes to church and like mm-hmm. is Christian or whatever. It's more dominant. But growing up in Portland, it was like the complete opposite. Yeah. Um, which I think is kind of cool. But mm-hmm. yeah, I yeah, I went to church pretty much every week. Mm-hmm. And, but did, did, it was mainly just like sit there, maybe go through church school. Uh-huh. And like, honestly, my family's church is pretty chill. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird in some ways, but um. It wasn't like super dogmatic. And I've talked to some friends who mm-hmm. like grew up in like really fundamentalist churches. And mm-hmm. like, that's such another thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was definitely interesting. And especially looking back, like there are things I do feel really appreciative for. Like mm-hmm. I had so many cool adults in my life that was just like from church connections. Yeah. And even now, like I have so many people like from those church connections that I'm still close with. Yeah. But yeah, it wasn't something I talked about in school. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something I was like super all about. Yeah. How how would you characterize, you know, how that plays into your life nowadays? Do you do you feel very strongly towards it, or you're like these are the the lessons and the skills and the morals that I want to live by, or anything like that, or is it completely <laughs> like no, that was just a community? Yeah, I think that's well because it's called community of Christ is the mm-hmm. church, and okay. so like community is always such a big part of it, mm-hmm. and so I definitely like I think embody that in lots of ways. I'm really glad for the ways that I yeah. engaged with it, and had lots of cool like experiences and like went to summer camps in the summers mm-hmm. and. But yeah, it is kind of interesting. Yeah, what was your growing up? So no, no one ever believes me. I think I remember something. But yeah, what do you remember? You grew up Baha'i, right? That's right. Yes. I did. Good memory. Yeah. yeah. No one ever believes me. I remember um, I used to carry around a thing in my wallet that was sort of like 10 Baha'i beliefs yeah. um, that my dad had given me that was from uh, his Baha'i center. Right. Um, 
just because I would tell people like, yeah, my family's Baha'i and they would go, what's that? You're lying. Yeah. <laughs> they just wouldn't believe me. And oh. so I would show them the card and be like, why would I have this if, interesting. you know, uh, yeah. yeah. And, um, that was interesting, an interesting, um, experience just because the Baha'i faith is so, well, you know, it's, it's varied across where you go, but it's not like an organized thing where there's a, a, priest who's you know saying these are the things yeah yeah it's very much like you get together and you talk about your beliefs and we talk about your you know people in the community how they're doing they Mm -hmm. would do songs they would do prayers um and i wouldn't say i very like i I wasn't all that religious yeah um but i have certainly adopted a lot of the baha'i like ideology yeah right it's sort of as an adult i sort of picked and choose from different faiths of what I feel like works for me. Totally. And a lot of the Baha'i stuff kind of resonates with me because it's like, um, you know, the main thesis is the unity of, of humankind. Yeah. It sounds good. You know, the, the, one of the, the main things in it too, is like, you're, you're supposed to have the personal search for truth. Like no, you, you have to figure out what you believe. Yeah. And, I, and you know, that's such a nice freeing sort of notion um, and then the other part of it that I, I like, um, which is that they consider worship to be like you were given gifts in the language they would use. They would say God gave you a gift. Yeah, sure. Um, and uh, I, I use Rain Wilson as an example for this. Cause, yeah, I, I think about that, too. Cause yeah. He's like one of the very well-known. Yeah, he um, I, I have more to say on that in a second. Um, he's so he would say like uh, he was given the gift of being able to act. Uh-huh. And so worship is acting. Yeah. Right. Him him doing the thing that he's good at, that's like bringing joy to other people. That is a form of worship. And I think that's a really healthy way to look at that, because even if you're not believing in in G-Man in the sky, um, <laughs> yeah. the sort of notion of like, OK, well, let's recognize what I'm good at and how I can use that to be helpful to other people totally. and use that as a measure of like, hey, I'm doing doing great stuff for this planet in my life. Yeah. Um, my anecdote with Rain Wilson is I met him once. No way. Yeah, it, it gets even deeper, Bryn. Um, I met him because my dad was like, we got to go to this Baha'i talk yeah. that Rain Wilson's leading. Yeah. Um, Rain Wilson went to Baha'i, like the Baha'i Center with my dad. Whoa. When they were kids. Whoa. Yeah, they grew up with Rain Wilson. That's wild. Yeah, and so I have this memory of the f- pilot of The Office airing, and my we're all sitting down to watch it. <laughs> And my dad's what? like, I know that guy. What? Oh my gosh. They're like, that's Rain. And my mom's like, Rain? Yeah, from Baha'i. And you know, like there's like oh pictures of him goodness. at like Baha'i camp that, you know, Rain's there. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, Rain Wilson does his talk. Um, and he's talking about, you know, Baha'i stuff. Um yeah. and there's a little like meet and greet afterwards yeah. where you can go say hi and shake his hand. And my dad's like, He's not going to remember me, but let's go say hi anyways. Yeah. We walk up and he goes, hey, Rain, I don't know if you remember me. And he goes, Todd yeah. from Castle Rock? <laughs> and he totally remembered my dad. And wow. I'm like, oh, my God, that's this is like bizarre, right? I've just watched this man on television for right. many years. Right. And now here he is like, I remember you to my dad. To your dad. Yeah. That is cool. Isn't that cool? Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Dang. I think... My coolest dad meeting a random famous person <laughs> story is Bill Nye was at the Lucy Clark campus for okay, some reason. Hell yeah. And this is when Papa, he was getting into walking because like our house is pretty close to the campus. Mm-hmm. So he just do like a 45 minute commute, but walking. Yeah. And he had the Nordic walking poles. Oh, cool. And so he's just like walking 
and Bill Nye drives by, like rolls down the window <laughs> and is like, hey, those are cool. And then they kind of start talking about it. Uh-huh. And it's not till the very end that Pup even realizes like, he's talking That's to the science Bill Nye. guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's just like in the back of his head, he's like, Bill, yeah. Bill, Bill. <laughs> totally. Oh my God. Yeah. Man. But wow, that is what a cool little yeah, it's, serendipitous it's, connection thing. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Um, my my other little I have one other kind of I'm interacting with someone famous which is that i went to preschool with the daughter of a portland trailblazer Ooh! so i was never into basketball or anything yeah. so it's never useful this story yeah. right um <laughs> but occasionally people will ask me like or oh hey did you catch the blazer game like no but i'm able to be like ah but <laughs> yeah. um so it was cliff robinson oh who's yeah also famous for having been on the season of survivor uh-huh, uh-huh. um and it's funny because uh so you know his, I think is like his daughter. I forget her name, but you know, I it was just like a person to me. Mm-hmm. And so was he, he didn't seem like anyone special other than I knew he was super tall. Yeah. Right. Cause he's Portland trailblazer height, right, right. right. Six foot, whatever. Right. Um, and so my mom picks me up from school one day. My mom is five foot even. Right. Yeah. And she's, <laughs> um, picking me up and I'm like, mom, when I grow up, I want to be as tall as so-and-so's dad. <laughs> And my mom just goes, sorry. Yeah, not happening. <laughs> sorry. Not going to be real. Oh, man. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Well, I think we got a nice little two hours here. Yeah, I feel pretty good. I'm feeling pretty satisfied. Yeah, we, we really kind of hopped and skipped all over the place. Totally. <laughs> and that's the beauty of it. Yeah. That's kind of how it goes, but. Super fun to do. I'm glad yeah, to have you over. This is super fun. I mean, a, a good conversation is always fun. Uh, I feel like you're really easy to talk to. Oh, thanks. Uh, and uh, well. it's also kind of nice. It's just sort of like reminiscing with an old bro. And it's oh, like, totally. oh, yeah. Root Beer Falls. You remember that? Yeah. Oh, my God. I haven't <laughs> thought about Root Beer Falls forever. Yep. So, yeah, it's just a blast all around. So, thanks yep. for having me. Oh, actually, oh. one more. Ooh. I remember, was it you or your neighbor that had an above ground pool? Yeah. I remember doing mad whirlpools mm-hmm, in that Because it was a circle. And yep. you, that was the strap. Me and Brandon figured it out because they would let us use it whenever they wanted. Yeah. We'd get in the pool and we both just had to walk yep. in the same direction. Yep. And eventually it would whirlpool and you could let it float. And then and you would float around in a circle. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's the best. All right, dude. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. We're going to end the podcast right now. Peace. Bye.